Blog Talk Radio.
Turn it, turn it all on the back side. Look up in the right-hand corner of over the eagle's head. What do you see? All right. That's the law of correspondence. As above, so below. As within, so without. As without, so within. When you get power of the Spirit, from the Spirit, you have power in heaven, which is in mind, as well as power on the earth, which is in bodies. Very important to understand that because the power you're receiving is not to rule somebody else, it's to rule yourself. To heal yourself. To master yourself. To transform yourself. That's what power is for. Then, go heal someone else. If you need a patient, it is you. If you need some pupils, you got them. If you want to do any teaching, work on you. That's your goal. You are your own responsibility. The greatest, most important person you'll ever meet down here is you. You must save you. Even the sister that goes to church is saving herself. But there's so much more that you can do besides go to church. I don't knock church. I'm glad it's there because it, it, it's a, a, a God sin and a God save for black folks. The church is an intricate part of our predicament in the Western Hemisphere. We are, most assuredly, as history relates us, spiritual people. Religion is the beginning of spirituality. Unfortunately, it appears it's becoming uh, interference <laughs> until that reverend finds out more or lets folks know he knows more, one or the other. Some of them short step it. Some of them do know and not tell me. I don't want to get into that. I'm getting all off here. Okay. Come experience life as we know it, as some of you should know it. Yeah, yeah. Place, Marcy, Brooklyn, action. Well, y'all know the action. On my block, always clocking my rocks. He likes the style of profile, I think he won the mock. He likes the way I walk. He see my money talking, now honey talking. I'm the hottest nigga in New York. I see your tongue of pain. I know his blood boils. He wanna run with me. I know this kid to be loyal. I watched him make a few wins. The cop is little sneakers and gear. Then it's just enough for re up again. I see myself in his eyes. I move from Levi's to guess the Versace. Now with diamonds like Liberace. That's just a natural cycle. Nobody wanna be like Michael Ware. From. Just some niggas who bounce from a gun We out here trying to make our white into cold green I can help shorty blow out like Afro Sheen Plus I could relive my days of you, which is gone That little nigga's peak, it's time to put him on Come on, hold my own weight up in my crown Got to lock it down and when they run, in my crown Time to come on, pick up my chest and make some new 
of emotion wane, the cells will go into a period of chemical withdrawal. This will stimulate the brain to produce more molecules of emotion and the cells will carry out the corresponding behavior to concentrate the chemicals in the tissues. This is known as emotionalism which creates drama. No, I'm serious. You have to understand that drama is a biological created activity because the chemistry of that emotion is dwindling in that person's body. And so therefore to keep that chemistry at the level that it's used to, it will stimulate the person to create drama. So you have to understand this is a self-imposed chemical addiction to one's own emotions. And if that means that they are sabotaging things to solve this chemical imbalance in the body, they will do that. If it means that they have to create disharmony or create havoc, etc., it will happen over and over and over again. So these people don't need enablers that continuously support them through their high drama. They need to actually be treated and put into withdrawal and counsel about how to be able to 
to separate their sensations from a thought so they do not continuously create this chemistry. So you have to understand this is a serious problem because what I have observed about us as African Americans is that we have difficulty staying focused and participatory in an event because we allow our emotions and now we've created these emotions because we have judged someone else's speech or someone else's behavior to allow us to abandon the goal or the project over and over and over again. So I used to find it very interesting because Caucasians will make it very clear to each other, I really do not like you. However, if they are very clear that they need that person's skill or talent, that is inconsequential, and I will meet you tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock so we can get busy on this project. And at 5 o'clock, don't speak to me again. So I've heard us rationalize that, oh, that's hypocritical and just a whole bunch of other stuff, and how can they do that, and they shouldn't speak, and look at what they did. A whole bunch of chemical poisons and toxins that you have created in your mind. Because... When the mind understands that we need certain skills and talents to be able to get a project done, we're not interested in how they look, what they say, what they may be doing, etc. We're interested, can they execute this particular activity to the extent that I'm going to get one step closer to the goal. And if the mind understands that, a healthy mind will ignore the rest of the activities and stay focused on the goal. This is critical. I mean, I have seen us talk about we're not speaking and whatever else, et cetera, and nothing gets done. Nothing. Over and over and over again. Because we are emotional addicts. We are not in control at all of our bodies. It is our emotions that are driving us. And so, therefore, we have abandoned the project Years go by, the same foolishness and nonsense, and we wonder why, what happened. And somebody else that didn't do whatever they're supposed to do. No, it was you who would not control your mind and stay focused. You're listening to Evolution Radio. Where the evolution is the revolution. There will be days where you will ask yourself, where is all this going? What is the purpose? What is my purpose? In high school, I thought I'd discover my life's purpose when I could answer that age-old question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Nope. In college, I thought I would discover it when I could answer, what's your major? Not quite. I thought that maybe I'd discover it when I found a good job. Then I thought I just needed to get a few promotions. That didn't work either. I kept convincing myself that it was just over the horizon, around the next corner. Nothing worked. And it was really tearing me apart. Part of me kept pushing ahead to the next achievement, and the other part kept asking, is this all there is? 
I've often said that I wished people could realize all their dreams and wealth and fame and so that they could see that it's not where you're going to find your sense of completion. I realized one night in LA that the purpose of my life had always been to free people from concern. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. When you work towards something greater than yourself, you find meaning, you find purpose. When you keep people at the center of what you do, it can have an enormous impact. All life is interrelated. We are all bound together into a single garment of destiny. But under the sky, under the heaven, man, there is but one family. It just so happened, man, that people are different. That's the only thing that's important, really. Letting each other know we're here. Reminding each other that we're part of a larger self. Deep inside of you lives a hero who wants to do something great with your life, who wants to inspire other people, who wants to do creative work, who wants to change the world. Maybe you're so numbed out that you've forgotten who you truly are. The fact that you are alive today means there is a mighty call on your life to do something with the rest of your life. When you're convinced that your cause is right, have the courage to take a stand. Use your minds and hands and your hearts to build something bigger than yourselves. If you see a problem or an injustice, recognize that no one will fix it but you. A change in the world that seems so clear that you are sure someone else is going to do it. But they're not. You will. Ideas don't come out fully formed. They only become clear as you work on them. You just have to get started. How will you serve the world? What do they need that your talent can provide? That's all you have to figure out. I want to do good. I want the world to be better because I was here. I want my life I want my, my work, I want it to mean something. If you are not making someone else's life better, then you're wasting your time. When you wake up in the morning and your life means something to somebody other than you, that you have a purpose, if you don't go do the things that you're going to do, people's lives will suffer. To live in service, not to you, but to live in service to humanity, to live in service to your family, to your church, to your city, to your country, to the world, that is the purest form of joy. Tear down that mirror that makes you always look at yourself, and you will be able to look beyond that mirror, and you will see the millions of people that need your help. Reaching out and helping people will bring you more satisfaction than anything else you've ever done. Measure your impact on humanity, not in lives, but in the lives you touch. Not in popularity, but in the people you serve. There is so much out there conspiring to make you cynical. 
People will try to convince you that you should keep your empathy out of your career. Don't let that noise knock you off course. I found that my life got bigger when I stopped caring what other people thought about me. Yours will too. Stay focused on what really matters. When I look around, I always learn something, and that is to be always yourself and to express yourself, to have faith in yourself, to express oneself honestly, not lying to oneself, and to express myself honestly. That, my friend, is very hard to do. Everything you gain in life will rot and fall apart, and all that will be left of you is what was in your heart. Don't let anything stand in the way of the light that shines through this form. Risk being seen in all of your glory. You are ready and able to do beautiful things in this world. You will only ever have two choices, love or fear. Choose love and don't ever let fear turn you against your playful heart. Many things can contribute to our not approving our dreams, our not feeling good enough. A lot of things can contribute to that. Many of us never live up to our potential or don't approve ourselves because we never had anybody to believe in us. Looking at some of the things that keep us from approving ourselves, that we've all done some things that we don't feel good about. Things that if we had to do those things over again, we would not do those things. Or we would do things differently. So part of what we must do in order to begin to move into your greatness, you got to remove a major energy block. And that is dealing with the issue of forgiveness. People that have hurt you, someone who's done you wrong, make a list and things that you have done that you, you feel bad about, that you regret, make a list. There may be a time when you weren't a good father or a good mother or a good brother or sister or you, you were a bad child or you didn't do a good job or you lied or you were dishonest or you stole. No one knows this but you, or something you feel good about, so you know, I was a real dog in me to do that. Something you just really regret. So we make a list of all those things. All of us have some of that. Somebody said there is some good in the worst of us and some bad in the best of us. So none of us escape. Now here's something I want you to do. I want you to become involved in an active process to get some clutter out of your life. So if there's any area in your life that you need to clean up, there's some people who's cluttering up your life. They serve no purpose whatsoever. They're just holding and occupying the space that somebody useful, positive, nurturing, and contributing could be holding that space. You don't even have time to look to see what else is out there because you all have all of these people surrounding you that's not in enabling you to grow. So look at what is it I need to get out of my life. Just start cleaning this stuff out. See, whatever you have in your environment is a reflection of your consciousness. So you got all that chaos there. That represents some disorganized, cluttered section of your mind. So let's get all that out of there, all right? Work to get that out, clean that up. Anybody that you feel very strongly about, have some negative feelings about, let's look at some good reasons to forgive them. Number one, you must try and see what has happened or see things from that other person's point of view. Let's look at it from their point of view. That's, that's one area. That's number one. Then number two, holding a grudge hurts you. It doesn't hurt them. 
So just for good health and peace of mind, let it go. Any feeling of resentment or anger or hatred is called to me the load of bitterness within. Every thought that we entertain produces a chemical in our brain that impacts the body's immune system. And besides, this person you're hating, they probably are not even aware of it. Don't even know you're really hating them. You've turned up the steam. Gone from dislike to hate, intense hate. And here you are killing yourself, making yourself vulnerable to various types of illnesses, putting yourself in bad health. And I say that person is not worth your sacrificing your health or one minute of peace of mind. One minute of anger robs you of 60 seconds of happiness. So decide it doesn't matter. Let it go and experience the dignity and the magnanimous sense of character of being big enough to move on and get on with your life. Letting it go so you can grow. See, we, all of us have greatness within us. But when you don't come to grips with your greatness and you don't work to develop it, if you're not seeking it out, if you're not finding where it is, if you're not trying to locate it, if you're not experimenting with your life to try and find out what fits for you, I'm saying that you're positioning yourself to be a miserable person, an unfulfilled person. How else do we do it? Procrastination. We just put things off over and over and over again. Why? Because we haven't accepted it. We don't feel deserving. We don't feel that we're good enough. So we sabotage ourselves by not ever taking care of business. We get real busy doing a lot of things where we don't have any time. We start doing so many things, we just give our time away until we don't have any time for ourselves or any time to do the things that we want to do. And every time you put it off and move it back, oh, I'll do it one day, oh yeah, I'm going to get to it. I'm saying to you that one day you look around and there goes a year, there goes two years, there goes three years. So is there something you want to do? Do it now. Do it right now. Don't put it off. Start right now where you are. There will never be a perfect ideal time. Whatever you have going for you right now, that's enough. Work on that idea. Work on it. Work on it. Work on it. Watch out with the relationships you have. What kind of person are you becoming because of the relationships that you have right now? Do those people contribute to you? Do they help you grow and develop yourself? What kind of person are you becoming? People who have not accepted greatness for themselves, these people don't study, ladies and gentlemen. These people don't study. They don't have time for personal growth and development. They don't have time to work on their minds. No, they don't have time for that. Too busy for that. To determine the height of your self-approval, it's important that you evaluate yourself because you know you quite well, but it's almost impossible to do it totally by yourself. You must get some caring feedback. Find somebody close enough to you that has observed you or been around you that you value their opinion and ask them how do they see you? How do they rate you in terms of your self-esteem? And then compare what you have with what they say. See, there are things many times that people can see in us that we can't see because it's a blind spot. When someone pays you a compliment, can you handle it well? Can you handle compliments well? That's a good barometer about your self-esteem. Can you handle criticism well? Can you give criticism? What are your expectations? What do you expect to get from life? What do you expect to get from your business? What do you expect to get from your relationships? What is your ideal day? 
What is it that you expect from this experience, this trip, this journey that you're involved in? People that, that have a strong sense of self-approval, they have high expectations for themselves and from life and from others. See, a lot of people don't expect much from life. So they don't shoot for much. They're not preparing for much. A lot of people are just showing up in life. A lot of people just get up in the morning and they go through the day, they go to the job just to pull a check down watching the clock coming in. So you want to be a different kind of person as you forward your life. You want to get something out of this. If you're going to do it, it's worth your time, your energy. You've got some expectations from this. So examine your expectations versus your wishes. Some people wish they could do better. But some people expect to do better. Where are you on that? And love yourself. Make caring for you the highest priority in your life. Take care of you. Look out for what truly satisfies you. We're not taught to love ourselves. We're not taught to look out for ourselves. We're not taught to take care of ourselves, to become sensitive to our wants, to our needs, our, our desires. So make a conscious effort. Make you number one priority. Your peace of mind, your health is more important than your family and any and everybody. Because if you don't have peace of mind, if you don't have your health, you can't serve anybody. Don't neglect yourself. A lot of us, and particularly ladies, have been groomed to be sacrificial lambs. Putting their dreams on the back burner in deference to their children's dreams or their husband's dreams or their family's dreams. And forget about themselves. Then become resentful and angry and bitter. So start taking care of yourself. Looking out for you. Develop a health plan. Your health is all you got. So start taking care of you. Eating nutritious meals, willing to exercise your body, taking care of this body, loving yourself. So do some good stuff for yourself on purpose. Take some time out for you. You can't develop and manifest your greatness. You can't be a high achiever if you don't feel good. You don't take care of yourself. It takes the edge off your life. It helps you to manage things rather than allowing them to manage you. Gives you more personal power to deal with stuff. Take care of you. Now here's something else I suggest for you. Become aware of what your needs are and develop compassion towards yourself despite your human defects. Develop compassion for yourself despite your human defects. You will never be perfect. Hello? You will never be perfect. You're human. You've made a lot of mistakes. You've done a lot of dumb, stupid things. Guess what? You're not through yet. You've got to learn to be gentle with yourself. Make it all right. What you don't know, the mistakes that you make. It's okay. Handle it. Learn from the experience. Decide that you are going to whatever you become involved in to be up front, to be true to yourself. Are you getting what you need out of it? And be upfront with people and tell them what you need from them. Don't assume that they know. Don't say, I thought you knew. No, tell people up front, here's what I need from this in order for this to work for me. 
Be up front with your stuff. Tell them up front so they're not surprised later on. So your feelings aren't hurt later on. See, if they tell you up front they can't do it, now you know you can keep on stepping. But tell people up front, here's what I want. In order for me to play this game with you, if we're going to dance, this is what i got to get out of it. See, if you don't take care of your needs, guess what? You will always have that nagging song in the back of your mind say, well, when do I get mine? See, we're taught to be quiet and not speak up for ourselves. Not to be selfish. If you don't take care of you, who do you think is going to take care of you? Who's going to look out for you better than you will? No one. No one's going to do that. You got a business? No one's going to take care of your business better than you. Nobody. Nobody. Anything you want to do in life, you've got to take ownership of it. And say, hey, I'm going to make this happen. Be willing to venture out and do something that you have fantasized about doing. And you know you probably won't be good at it, but do it anyhow. Big fat, big fat, big fat. You went about it 
side on this, but I want to ask you here because I think this is a question that comes up a lot, especially when it comes to talking about the soul and what yes. role the actual soul plays with us. You know, we have the mind, the body, and some yeah. would say the soul and the connection that it plays in our transformation as becoming gods and goddesses yes. walking on this earth. What is that connection between the soul, and, and, and what do we need that for in our transformation? The soul is all there really is. Everything else is a projection of the soul. And this particular soul, when it starts to wake itself up, which is a sun, S-U-N-S-O-N. Right. You see what I'm saying? A star. Every man, every woman is a star. Whenever it starts to wake itself up, it, it, it does various things. Some souls are still asleep. So therefore, in place of it, the ego exists and su- supposes itself to be the individual. That's most people. But then, but then when the soul starts to wake up, it starts to send signals to the consciousness to remember itself. So you start reading, you start studying, and you start, you know, going into this particular consciousness. Now, there's several distractions in there because when the soul is trying to do it, the ego is still involved, and it's a hard process because you can get distracted again, which means the ego can go, hey, this soul is waking up, but I still love it. I want to be, I want to exist. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a part of this knowledge that ultimately will wake this soul up, and I'm going to have this person get locked in one of the areas of the knowledge. And it will suppose itself it's being knowledge, but because it is locked into one area, that's nothing but a form of ego. That's why they say master nothing. So the story goes in the, in the, in the Holy Grail. They got a, 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 a knight called Parzival. Parzival is a knight that was raised in the country. By his mother. Tune in every Sunday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on the bottom line with Joey L. On the New Evolution Radio Network. We're going to get ready to get started. My apologies for being a little late. I tried to take a shortcut, and you know what they say about shortcuts. You know, I end up being a long cut. So next time we'll come the way I usually come. Uh, today, what, we're gonna, what I'm going to deal with today is I want to get into... Uh, some of the prophecies of Noble Juali, especially in light of a lot of the current events that's taking place right now. Um, I'm going to start off with his main warning to America, to the nation. And then I'm going to get into some of his prophecies that he mentioned of things that will come to pass if his warning was not heeded. You know, a prophet was sent to this nation to warn this nation, to, to uplift us as well as to warn this nation of what will come to pass if the warning is not heeded. So I'm going to start off with that. This is a warning that was given to the nation on Friday, November 30th. And I'm going to return back to this picture because I want to show you something regarding that picture. Ah, man, I hate to. Let me know if it cut off. I don't want to do I'll put it in my pocket.
trying to see if I could get the whole thing on the screen. I should be moving the screen up, right? If I move, if, if I should be moving the screen up, right? Now we got the whole thing on here. All right. You want to leave this? You want to leave those lights on or what? This is the prophet's warning to the nation on Friday, November 30th, 1928. And this is very important because this sets the stage of what actually was the prophet's mission and what he was warning us as well as America with regards to, it says, the citizens of all free national governments, according to their national constitution, are all of one family, bearing one free national name. Those who fail to recognize the free national name of their constitutional government are classed as undesirables and are subject to all inferior names, abuses, and mistreatments that the citizens care to bestow upon them. And it is a sin for any group of people to violate the national constitutional laws of a free national government and cling to the names and principles that dilute, the, that dilute the slavery. The question may arise, what free national government or free, what free national constitution are you referring to? He's referring to the free national government of the continental United States. A lot of us are not aware of the fact that prior to the Europeans coming here, our forefathers, our ancestors already had set up a national government in this hemisphere that went from Alaska, from Alaska all the way down to Chile. There was already a Continental Congress set up. You know, some of us think that the Continental Congress was set up by the Europeans. There was a Continental Congress already set up by the Moors in this hemisphere. And it involved all the various nations, tribes, and peoples that was in this hemisphere, the chief of which, or the most powerful nation of which, was the Moorish nation. So when the Europeans came here, there was already a Continental Congress set up. And what the Europeans did, they tried to get their independence away from Britain so, they, so that they could become a part of the national government that we already have set up in this hemisphere. That's why when you look on the back of the dollar bill, you see two seals. The seal with the eye in the pyramid is the seal of our government that we already have set up in this hemisphere. And the seal with the eagle is the seal of the six European tribes that we allow to set up on the eastern seaboard. That's why you notice this country mostly uses the seal with the eagle, but you rarely see it use the seal with the eye in the pyramid until recently. And I'm going to show you something that's going on recently that's involved in that particular seal. All right? But the seal with the eye in the pyramid is the seal of our government that we set up in this hemisphere. That's why above our seal says annual coeptus, or meaning he has favored our undertaking, meaning that we allowed them to set up the union society. All right? So that constitution also that was set up, we took part in that. That, that constitution was for, for all free national people, not just for a handful of Europeans. That was for all free national peoples the world over. And, that, and included in that constitution, the, the, the Declaration of Independence is part of that. And that deals with any people who want to, to uh, declare their independence from any tyrannical government, they can apply those same principles. The principle of this government is based on what they call, what they call the... Uh, the compact theory or the compact philosophy of government. 
which states that whenever a group of free and sovereign individuals come together and mutually agree or compact to form a government, by reason of their mutual compact or agreement, their government is perfectly valid. That's called the compact theory or compact philosophy of government. That's why you had the Mayflower Compact. While it was on a ship, they realized, they said, well, wait, we're going to have to govern ourselves in some way. So they compacted on a ship or they mutually agreed to form government once they touched land. All right? That's why it's important to understand this concept because it's the people that make the government, that give the government its powers. It's not the other way around. The government can't give you powers that you don't already have. That's why, you know, the whole thing of begging the government for rights and so on and so forth, that's contrary to the way it really works. You have the power. As sovereign individuals, you have the power. When you come together and mutually contact with other sovereign individuals, you delegate or turn over some of that power over to the, federal, over, over to the government so that it may function. And that's how you form a national government. All right? So that's why in the preamble, it says, we the people in order to form a more perfect union, meaning it was the people who got together, and in order to form a more perfect union, they ordained that constitution for the United States of America. All right? And so you have two. Now, if you just became a citizen with the 14th Amendment in 1867, that means you wasn't part of we the people who originally formed the constitution. So that means you have two classes of citizens here. You have one that was we the people, the one who formed the government, and then you have another one that was created by the government, which is, a, which is in a sense an artificial form of citizenship. And that is, that's the form of citizenship that was given to us after the time of the Emancipation Proclamation, because at that point we did not declare our free national name and identity. So the government said, well, look, here's a whole class of people that have no standing, no standing whatsoever within this government. So they had to come up with a pseudo-citizenship known as the 14th Amendment that allows you to sue in court and so on and so forth and make you think you was a citizen, but in actuality you're not a citizen. Because in the 14th Amendment it says subject to. If you're subject to something, that means you're not a sovereign. Either you're a sovereign or you're a subject. If you're subject to, that means you're a subject. And this is what the prophet kept trying to say. He kept saying, leave that 14th Amendment. See, they have the right to assume that you're a 14th Amendment citizen unless you outrightly proclaim otherwise. That's why the prophet said up with us, you must proclaim your Moorish nationality so that they cannot assume that you're a 14th Amendment citizen. All right? So the prophet goes on to say, and he says here, uh, it, and it is a sin for any group of people to violate the national constitutional laws of a free national government and cling to the names and principles that allude to slavery. Names such as Negro, colored, African, Indian, West Indian, all those allude to slavery because on the books of the state, they denoted property. Those labels denoted property with no rights a white person is bound to respect. So when you call yourself by these names, you are putting yourself in the category of property. And that's what happened with the Dred Scott case. Basically, just, basically, they told him, they said, Dred Scott, you can't even sue. You can't even come to this court because in your own deposition, you said that you was a, 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 a Negro descendant of West African, black, broadhead, so on and so forth. That was a catchphrase. Once you put yourself in that category, 
you had no rights that anyone was bound to respect. And see, this whole game that was played with the handful that was brought here from West Africa was designed to enslave us because they used the handful that they brought relatively late in West Africa to justify their Fugitive Slave Law Act, which what they was doing was snatching up free brothers and sisters over here and say, you escaped slave that we brought over in West Africa. This was the game that was played, and you even see petitions that were circulated by brothers and sisters back then saying, we against these Fugitive Slave Law Acts because you just snatching up free brothers and sisters. Brothers might be rolling down a Mississippi in a canoe or whatever, and you snatch them up saying he's a escaped slave that y'all brought the slave markers in, in, over in Africa. This was a game that was played. Why? Because they had to get you out from your rightful name as Moors. Moors. Why? Because there were treaties involved. There were international treaties that stated that they could not enslave you if you was a Moor. That's why when you look in the black coast of Virginia, it said all these are considered slaves except for Moors and Turks and Amity. And amity meaning that you have an outstanding treaty of peace and friendship. So they couldn't slave you as Moors. So they had to snatch up your children at birth, switch them up to some other place, and raise them up, tell them, oh, you descendants of some Africans that we brought in West Africa. You see what I'm saying? And that did two things. That denied them of their aboriginal rights of being here before Columbus in this hemisphere. And at the same time, it put them in the category of chattel property, all right? So whenever we call ourselves by those names, we put ourselves in that same category. See, the Moors, you know, we deal with science, more science, you know? So if I was to ask you how do you identify yourself, and if you were to tell me black, I would say, no, that's, 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 that's not an identification of yourself. That's, black is an adjective. An adjective describes a thing but it does not identify a thing. And if you say you were black, I would say that was an unscientific or inaccurate description at that because you're not really black. You various shades of brown. So not only is that description uh, not, uh, not, uh, does not identify you, but it's an inaccurate description of you at that. If you tell me you're African-American, well, Africa is a continent made up of many nations. So when, you, so when you say African, you're not identifying yourself, you're not connecting yourself to any nation with any continuity of laws, treaties, and so on and so forth. So when you say African-American, that's like, well, you have no established rights in the, in, the, in the history of law that we could go by. You see what I'm saying? This is why the prophet squarely said, Morris American, that tied us into the illustrious past of our ancestors as well as all the international treaties that was involved. And this was a nation, an empire that was recognized the world over. So now you tie yourself to something that, that's tangible, with a flag, with a historical context, with landmass, treaties, so on and so forth. All right? He says, and I'm just going to take a seat right now while I'm doing this. I, I, I fasted today, so I'm a little, you know how you get when you fast, you know. It says, I, the prophet, was prepared by the great God Allah to warn my people to repent from their sinful ways and go back to that state of mind of their to their forefathers' divine and national principles that they will be law abiders and receive the divine right as citizens according to the free national constitution that was prepared for all free national beings. 
and, and let me stop right there, that they will be law abiders. You know, that's something that our people are not. You know, we, we, as a matter of fact, we go out of way to not be law abiders. But there's a reason for that. You know, with us, you know, if you break the law, you get over the law, that's like us. That's something worthy of praise with us. Why? Because we're on the outside looking in. That's why the prophet said to return us back into the constitutional fold because just like cells of the body, if you, you have, your body's made up of many different cells. Let's say your legs, so let's say you laid up in the bed in the hospital for whatever, for whatever reason, and you don't use your legs. The muscle, the muscle cells in your legs begin to die. They begin to atrophy. Why? Because there's a self-destruct mechanism in those cells that tells that cell that if I'm not being utilized, I'm going to commit suicide because at that point, I'm just being an extra burden for the body. So every cell in the body has a self-destruct or a suicide mode that kicks in when it feels it's not being utilized or used by the body. It's not an active participant within the body. Well, that's the same thing with us, with regards to the United States of America. For so long, we believed that we thought we were something that wasn't used by it, that we wasn't part of it. And so within us, a self-destruct mode kicked in where we were desirous to do all kinds of things that was destructive to ourselves as well as to the nation, not realizing that our forefathers played a key role in the formation of this nation, but not knowing that we antagonistic to it, we see ourselves on the outside of it, and because of that, that self-destruct mechanism has kicked in within us. It kicks in in any human being. That's why when you are part of a society, one of the worst things, one of the worst punishments or penalties is exile. Because once you exile, that self-destruct mechanism kicked in. That's what happened with Malcolm X. It's no coincidence that shortly after he was exiled from the nation, he passed on shortly afterwards. Because that, self that self-destruct mechanism kicked in. He started getting paranoid. You know, you remember the picture where you see him by the window with the rifle? All these things start to kick in. And he started feeling as if he was going to die any, any, any minute now. And it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's no coincidence that shortly after Mr. Collin was exiled from the nation, that he passed on. This is a very powerful thing that operates within the human being on a subconscious level. And so whenever you're part of any society and you're thrown out, you start having suicidal thoughts, you, have, you start getting paranoid, you start having all kinds of things because now you're outside of the, the body. He says outside the constitutional fold, any nation is just like a corporation. And a corporation comes from the word corpus or body. That's why they refer to it as a body politic. Each one of us functioning as cells within that body. So if you see yourself as outside of it, then you're going to do all things destructive to yourself and to that same body that you don't see yourself a part of. And this is why Noble Duali understood that fact. He says, They are to, talking about us, they are to claim their own free national name and religion. Free national name and religion. That identifies you with a landmass, with a nation, and your religion gives you self-determination, the right to, to live according to your own principles. See, the prophet also understood the fact that within religious, as a result of the doctrine of religious freedom, if you proclaimed your religion, then within that you have self-determination. 
You could do any act or forbear to do any act for conscience sake as long as it's in tune with your religion and not harmful to society as a whole. He says here, there is but one issue to them to be recognized by this government and the nation of the earth, and it comes only through connection with the Moorish Divine National Movement, which is incorporated in this government and recognized by all other nations of the world. And through it, they and their children can receive their divine rights unmolested by other citizens. Notice he mentions a Moorish Divine and National Movement. Divine means, the, the divine aspect of it is you see the more science temples. That's the divine aspect. That's the religious side. That's where you go to perfect the temple, to purify yourself, so that at that point you can partake in the national aspect of the movement, which is the government aspect. That's the self-determination aspect. And so the prophet put it in the right order. He didn't put the cart before the horse. He said, first come into the temples, clean up your act clean up your ways, and then you are fit to partake and form government, not the other way around. If we just jumped off of here and just try to put together a government with the same type of Negro mentality, it would collapse overnight. And so he said this is a, a, more, a Morris divine national movement. So first we've got to perfect the divine aspect, and then we can put together the proper national or governmental aspect. All right? He said that they can cast a free national ballot at the polls under the free national constitution of the United States government and not under a granted privilege as has been the existing condition for many generations. And that goes back to the whole civil rights thing. These are granted privileges that are legislated. These are legislated rights or privileges. They're not rights. They're not birthrights. They're not rights that you are born with. These things are legislated by legislatures. And they could take, and they could take, they could write it out of law as well. All right, so we don't want granted privileges. We don't want legislative civil rights. We want to function under our divine birthrights. All right, which they now call so-called human rights. All right. You who doubt, you who doubt whether I, the prophet, and my principles are right for the redemption of my people, go to those that know the law in City Hall and among the officials in your government and ask them under intelligent tone, and they will be glad to render you a favorable reply, for they are glad to see me bring you out of the darkness into light. Money doesn't make the man. It is free national standards and power that make a man a nation. See, free national standards or that which a nation has, which no other nation could change, or affect, or influence, or alter. Your free national standards as a nation, as a Moorish nation, cannot be touched by others. That involves your flag, that involves your principles, love, truth, freedom, uh, excuse me, love, truth, peace, freedom, and justice. Those national standards that we have, our grand body, all these are national standards set up within our government, governmental framework, and the free national standards of any nation cannot be tampered with by another nation or any other government. So that's why it's key for us to establish these national standards because they cannot be touched by anyone else other than ourselves. 
The wealth of all national governments, gold and silver commerce, belongs to the citizens alone. And without your national citizenship by name and principle, you have no true wealth. That's so key because you see what's happening now with the whole reparations movement. If you do not come and your true free national name, we will never get anything. Because you come in as property. You come in either as property or you come under names that have no standing. African, they're saying there's no nation by that name. We don't own nothing to a nation that don't exist. You got to come correct. They're looking at it saying, well, wait, look, the title to this says Morsh. So y'all better go back, study some more, come back when y'all ready. You see, this is why this is, what he's saying here is so important. All the wealth of a nation belongs to the citizens alone. Remember, it was the citizens that formed the government. The wealth belongs to them as well. Think about it. Before the government, the Constitution was formed, the government was formed via the Constitution, talking about the United States of America, you just had the people and you had, they had their wealth. Nothing belonged to the government because the government wasn't formed yet. When they came together to form the government, the most the government do and the bankers do, <coughs> they are what, you know, what, what is referred to as fiduciary agents. A fiduciary agent does not possess or own the wealth. Their duty is, is to management it, manage it for the benefit of another. It's almost like a trustee in a trust. So when you put your money in a bank, and this bank has so-and-so assets of so-and-so, the bank does not own that money. You, the depositors, own that money. They just have the right to invest it and do whatever else they do it for, but it's for your benefit. All right? So the wealth belongs to us, the citizens. Now, what this country has done is a couple of months after the prophet passed, the prophet passed July 20th, 1929. A few months later, the stock market crashed. Now, when you look deeper into it, you will see that in reality, one of the reasons why the stock market crashed is because many of them became aware of what the prophet had did. They said in 1928, the prophet went to Havana, Cuba, to the Pan-American Conference. And at that time, he received a mandate for our land in this hemisphere, as well as our wealth. And he came back here and consolidated it in the form of express trust. Well, they say that word leaked out and got to Wall Street. And when they realized that the wealth was, in a sense, pulled out from underneath them, they panicked. And since the whole thing was built on credit, maybe only 10% was actual real money, the whole thing collapsed like a deck of cards. And America was forced to declare bankruptcy. And just like you have a Chapter 11 bankruptcy, the same thing with this country, a reorganization. And the reorganization plan was known as the New Deal. That was the reorganization plan. When you've seen Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR came before the American public, and he was doing those fire, fireside chats. He was telling the American people in so many words. He couldn't outrightly tell them because it would, be, it would cause even further panic. But what he was actually saying was that they were going to reorganize the whole political economic structure of the nation. And this is what took place between 1933 and 1938. At that time, all the states capitulated and gave up their sovereignty. This is what that whole European sovereign patriot militia group thing was about, is that when they discovered what took place as a result of the New Deal, they still kept the tie United States of America. Everything was the same. Just like some corporations go bankrupt, they still keep the same name, just everything is payable to a trustee, court-appointed trustee. 
Well, the same thing happened with America, and in a sense, the Federal Reserve became the trustee. That's why when you look on the money, it's not backed up by gold or silver. As a matter of fact, every dollar in circulation is loaned into circulation. That money is loaned into circulation, which means what? This country has a debt of all that money in circulation. Well, who's the collateral for that debt? You and I, via the birth certificates. Via those birth certificates, because that becomes part of what's known as the Cestual Q Trust to say that, yeah, we could borrow this money from the Federal Reserve because we got collateral in the form of human resources. You see what I'm saying? You got physical resources, gold, silver, so on and so forth, and you got human resources. And so they have you down, they have us down as human resources via that birth certificate. All right? And so this is the game that was played, and you will find that most of the people here, as a result of that reconstruction, that reorganization, everybody was put on the footing of 14 Amendment citizens, unless you outrightly proclaim otherwise. And so if the wealth belongs to the nation, I mean, belongs to the people, the citizens, and we are the citizens taught by the prophet who proclaim the true citizenship, then right now the wealth belongs to us. Because they, are, they don't belong to 14th Amendment citizens. And the majority of people out here now are 14th Amendment citizens. And so we understand it properly, and we, and we put forth our true Morris, national, uh, Morris American citizenship, then really we only, we, we're the only true citizens left standing, if we really understand it properly. All right? And so it was another point I wanted to make with regards to the whole New Deal thing. Also, after that time, for the first time, the, uh, right, after, right after the prophet, the seal with the iron pyramid was put in a dollar bill. That was the first time that many Americans seen that seal. Up to that time, all they seen was this seal. This seal was revealed one time at the, um, at the World Fair in 1881. And those who didn't see it at that time, they didn't see it afterwards. This seal was well hidden. As a matter of fact, America never cut the die for the seal. The reason why they never cut the die for the seal because the die already existed long before America was created. So why would they cut the die for something that was already in existence? They just presently cannot use that seal because that's our seal. See, you had two nations here, well involved in one. That's why this is, a, one of the, this is the only nation with a two-sided seal, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. And so you have two nations here well involved in one, but what happened was that when the Europeans through the Union Society stood up, we sat down. We stopped functioning as a society. One reason was because many of us tried to run over to this side. We wanted to be like them. We wanted to be Christians. We wanted to be part of their program. And that's what the prophet said. We didn't divine... We didn't honor the principles of our forefathers and our foremothers. And that's why we suffer slavery. He said every nation on the earth has suffered slavery. Because at some point in time, every nation has ran against the principles of their forefathers and their foremothers. And because of that, they have suffered slavery. Well, that's what happened to us. We chasing after them, trying to be Puerto Rican. We trying to be more, I mean, we trying to be uh, 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 Christian. We became Moriscos. Moriscos are those Moors who convert to Christianity either through force or through their own motives, all right? And that's why this, stopped, this ceased to function. And the Europeans said, no problem. 
We sweep it under the rug and y'all forget about it. We go ahead and do our thing. You see what I'm saying? It wasn't until the prophet came and said, wait, what's all the stuff y'all got hidden underneath there? Pulled out the flag, pulled out everything, and told them, put, the, put, that, put our seal back on the money. And at first, the elders said that they tried to put it on the $100 bill. And the prophet said, no, put it on the $1 bill, because our people don't even handle the $100 bill. Put it on the most handled piece of paper on the planet Earth today, so everyone can see it. And we see it every day, but we don't realize the whole history that's on the back of this thing. It's all here. All right? And I'm going to show you something. And the brother Todd, um, he showed you at the time, but at the time, some of you didn't see it. And so I want to show it to you here on our seal. You have on our seal, on our Morrison Temple Quran, you see the circle seven, right? Well, here you have the seal of the United States, and you were right? Novus Ordo Seclorum, new order of the ages. This new order was born in the Continental Congress between the Moors and the European Masons. The Moors and the European Masons. We said, look, us Moors, we enslaved you. You turned around. You enslaved us. At this point, let's let bygones be bygones. Let's form a new order. The two of us. And this is what we, this, this is why it says Nobles from E Pluribus Unum. Out of many different peoples and nations, one. The original United States was known as the continental United States that involved all the free national peoples in this hemisphere. El Salvador, Nicaragua, Venezuela. All these, and you know that many of these were also referred to as Masonic Republics. And in many of these Masonic Republics, when you look at their seal or coat of arms, you see what? You see the Fez, or what they call a soft Fez, or the Liberty Cap. When you look at the coat of arms for New York State, when you look at the coat of arms for the, for the Army, you're going to see the same red Fez in there, because this was the foundation of the whole thing. Now here you see the seal, right? Well, if you take the seal and turn it upside down, you have the circle seven. Here's the seven. Here's the circle. Circle seven. All right? And so this is our seal of our forefathers in this hemisphere. Again, he says, money doesn't make the man. It is free national standards and power that make a man and, and a nation. The wealth of all national governments, gold and silver commerce, belongs to the citizens alone, and without your national citizenship, by name and principle, you have no true wealth. And I am hereby calling on all true citizens that stand for a, na a national free government and the enforcement of the Constitution to help me in my great missionary work, because I need support from all true American citizens of the United States of America. Help me to save my people who have fallen from the constitutional laws of this government. See, we have to make them understand that us, by us returning into the constitutional fold, by us coming back into our own, they, the Europeans, will also benefit. You see, and by conveying that fact, we won't, we won't encounter the same degree of antagonism against us. See, we've got to be very wise about this. 
This is a very powerful nation. Sun to the art of war, when you read it, it teaches you that if, you're, if, 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 if an enemy, if you are going against an enemy and he, he, he is more superior to you in certain ways, you don't fight them and you don't fight him on that level where he's more superior to you. You take it to another level where you render that superior, superiority inoperative. You see what I'm saying? So that's why it's important for us to take it to the level of law and divine law. Because at that point, all those weapons, all those guns don't function in that particular arena, in that particular theater of war. And so the best way, the Sun Tzu also said that when you go up against an enemy, you never back up an enemy into a corner with no way out. Because I don't care what, the, what it is, you back a squirrel up in the corner with no way out, it's going to attack you with all it got. What you do is you back up the enemy into a corner, and then you give them a way out that you determine. That will be the optimal course of action. But you never leave them without a way out. And you try and give them a way out, too, that will allow them to save face, that will make it easier for them to take that particular route. So here, then, with America, we have to make them understand that what we're doing as more is we're not trying to overthrow the government. We're not talking about violent uprising and all that foolishness like that. We'd be fools to even advocate that, given what they have. We'd be fools to even talk that language. I remember some of the elders said that in the 60s, um, some of the Moors started talking all that stuff, that rhetoric, you know, from the Black Power Movement, and they said that the FBI stepped to them and told the Moors, y'all better control those Moors because it was your forefathers who put us in power to protect this government that your forefathers set up. And we'll take out anyone who try to overthrow that which your own, your own forefathers set up. That's why when you look on the, um, the uh, King Alfred plan, the whole COINTELPRO, and they list all the different organizations that they listed there, you don't see the more Science of America listed there. Out of all the more organizations, you don't see the more Science of America listed there. Because that's not what we're about. We're about returning this nation, our people, and this nation back to the original divine plan that was originally laid out. It was a divine plan. America didn't happen by chance. All this was part of the divine plan that this would come about. The Moors then had a plan for a new world order, a one world, new world order. That was a Moorish plan originally. The Europeans inherited that plan through the Masonic Lodge, which was the vehicle by which we civilized and taught the Europeans. And so now when we hear them saying it, we ready to thought the baby with the bathwater, thinking it's from them. No, we originally laid out that plan for one divine world order, and they merely inherited it. And when we fell off, they still espoused it, even though many of them are not carrying out right and exact, because you've got to understand that the European Masons who run this government, who run the international scene, that they're under certain oaths and obligations, there's certain things that they can't do. There's certain things that they can't speak on. They're functioning more or less in a custodial capacity or fiduciary capacity. They will make custodians. When we were falling from power, we said, all right, you see this throne? We're going to make you custodians of this throne. You're going to become the keepers of the light, not the bearers of the light. We were the bearers of the light. We were the one who was able to go out there and re-educate the whole human family of planet Earth. We made them keepers which means that it's for so much they can speak on. You look at the degree structure. Water freezes at what? 32 degrees, right? Well, the highest they go is 32 degrees, which means what? Their wisdom, 
their water, their wisdom is locked up. It's froze shut. They can't, they can't get out here teaching like we can. It's froze shut. And maybe once in a while, one of them may be honor, honored with the honorary 33rd degree, and then they throw it out a little more. Maybe they can say a few things, but not too much. You see what I'm saying? And so we put those Europeans in power when we fell from power because at that time the Catholic Church, through the Franciscan and Dominican orders, was destroying everything that the Moors had built up. All the civilization, all the high science that we had developed and cultivated and built up, they was destroying on a global level. And so we put the Europeans in power, nations in power, we refer to them as the mystic Turks, or chief protectors of the sacred shrine. The shrine of what? The shrine of more science, of more civilization that we had cultivated for so long, we put them there in charge of it. And so they're custodians. And this sometimes happens that custodians forget their place and they start to think that they're the ones. But we got to remind them, y'all not the ones. Y'all the custodians. Y'all was to hold it and preserve it until we wake back up and then get this thing back on its original divine plan. So we are to convey to America that we're not about overthrowing this. No. As a matter of fact, we're about getting this thing back functioning on its original divine purpose. Because if we don't, it's going to be destroyed. As you see what's happening right now on a global level. America's going down a path now of self-destruction. And if we don't wake up and first save ourselves and then in turn save America, it's going to be all over with. And that's where we're going to, and that's where we're going to get some of the other prophecies that the prophet spoke about. Continuing on with that same divine warning to the nation, he goes on to say, I am dependent on your support to get them back to the constitutional fold again, that they will learn to love instead of hate and will live according to love, truth, peace, freedom, and justice, supporting our free national constitution of the United States. See, that's why he's saying that they will learn to love instead of hate. When you are part of something, then you can love it. Then you can uphold it. But as long as you think you're on the outside of the fold, on the outside of it, those self-destruct tendencies kick in. And that's why you see it so, so destructive all over America right now, because we don't feel like we're part of anything. We don't have, we don't have nothing. We don't have nothing at stake. So we just about, especially Generation X, you know, Generation X was born right at that time of the civil rights movement, and, 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 and so now you had either both parents working or you had single-parent-headed uh, single, uh, households with, a, with that single parents working two or three jobs, and so Generation X became what, what they call latchkey kids. You know, they came home. You know, they, they had their own little key. They had to come in. They had to fix themselves a little something, whatever they had. They would run the streets because there was nobody home. So Generation X, for the most part, was basically raised in the streets. When you look at hip-hop culture, all that was a culture that was born in the streets of New York by latchkey kids. We didn't have nothing else to do. We'd get home from school. You know, there's nothing else to do. we get in the schoolyard. we start doing some beats. we started coming up with our own uh, style of clothes, dressing our own graffiti, our own art style, our own language, our own music, our own everything, basically, because we was on the outside of the society looking in. And so that same generation has, had no respect for authority because authority more or less rejected that generation. 
when parents of thought he can't say, well, who y'all to tell us what to do? We, we raised ourselves out here in the streets. Who are y'all to come tell us now what to do? And that's the mentality of Generation X. But Generation X has a special mission. They have a special job to fulfill, according to the prophet. Generation X was the one that the prophet referred to as new moors. And, the, and in the prophet's prophecy, he said that there will come new moors who will come in with their eyes wide open, seeing and knowing, and that they will take you old moors, put you in the back seat, and they will fulfill my law. So what he's saying, the prophet knew that, the, that after he left, that the, that the Morsan temple would take a downturn. It would go down, mainly because the ones who it was turned over to, the most they were able to do was preserve it. They didn't fully understand everything that the prophet brought. That's why the prophet said it would take you more than 50 years to figure out what I've done. And he said, what I've brought is for the third and fourth generation and for the unborn generation, because he knew that that generation didn't fully understand what he had. And the most they could do was, and because they didn't understand it, all they could do was preserve it. They couldn't evolve it to make it meet and address the needs of the, of the times. You see what I'm saying? So they, they, they inherited it and they just kept it exactly as it was, and they were too scared to evolve it because they didn't fully understand it. And so that's why it lost touch with the brothers in the streets, because it didn't adapt to the changes in time, and it was no longer speaking their language. And so that's why you had a situation before this present Moors Renaissance of us new Moors, you had maybe, you go to temples, you see maybe a handful, maybe five people, mostly all elders. You rarely see anyone from Generation X sitting up in them. It wasn't until now, the Moors Renaissance of now was started right around the period of 1990, that now you got Moors, you got all these Moors coming out of the woodworks now all over the nation. This is what the prophet had prophesied would happen. But what happened, there's another thing that happened also. Because most of those Moors actually learned more science in the streets as opposed to the temple, a lot of them had no desire to even get into the temple. So now you have a situation now where you have maybe five out of every ten Moors in the nation right now never even been in the temple. They learned it in the streets. But there has to be a coming together because that's part of the prophet's property too. He said there will come new Moors who will come in with their eyes wide open. He didn't say stay on the outside of the temple looking in. He said they will come in with their eyes wide open. And so that's where we're at now because I was one of those Moors also. I was brought, I was brought up into this, in the streets. We had lessons that were circulating in the streets. I never even set foot in the temple. I just became a member of the Moors Science Temple this year. So all those years since 92, I was never even officially a member of the temple. And, I, I, and, and at that time, I didn't even have no desire to be a member because to, at that time, to me, there was too much conflict over this, over that one, over this one, over that one, over stuff that took place before I was even born. So I said, instead of me getting all caught up in that, let me just deal with the science. And so, but now, I have came in, I have entered in to the Moore Science Temple with my eyes wide open. I'm coming in with nationality. I'm coming in with t attribute and title. That's what the prophet was saying. He's saying they will come in. You got Moors now coming into the temple with those things that the temple was supposed to teach them to get. They're coming in with it already. And so that's why some of them are coming in kind of arrogant. You know, they're coming in like, 
man, what these these outlets? What are they talking about? They, they don't they don't know this. They don't know that. They don't you know to the, to the young moors, the new moors, the elders are too slow and sluggish. It's like a story I heard one time, and I told. I, I, see, I, I'm in the middle now. I came from the new moors, but now I'm in the temple. I'm up there with the elders. I'm working with Shikambi Bay, who's who's I, he was about what 70, 71 years old, 72 years old, and I'm trying to bridge that gap with him. On one hand, all them young moors coming up in the nation, uh, coming up in the um, temple in New York City, Harlem, all those brothers from the Zulu Nation, they ready to get busy. These young persons are ready to get busy. So they're anxious. They're coming up in the temple. They're challenging everybody. I had to pull the young person aside and say, look, y'all, y'all got to cool out with that. I know where y'all coming from. I feel, I feel y'all on that. But what you're doing is not strategic. What you should do is come in humble. Respect all the rules and regulations of the temple. And respect the leadership. Don't come into the public meetings challenging the leadership and you say you're a member of the temple, you challenging the leadership of the temple of the of the temple in public. How does that look to the new people who's coming in? They're saying, well, and how does it look to the Europeans? The Europeans are saying, well, look, they don't they don't even respect their own leadership. How do they expect us to respect them? I told them, brother, I said, look, what y'all not doing is not strategic. What y'all need to do is come in humble. I said, the elder generation that preserved it now, they're about to pass the mantle of power down to us, our generation. So your shoulders got but if but if you come in and you rant and rave and challenge leadership. What's going to happen is that they're going to put you outside of the temple, which has already happened on a couple of incidents within the temple there. And I said, at that point, your shoulders are not going to be in place to inherit the mantle of leadership when it comes down. What you should do is come in, and when you get in the proper position, then bring up those issues where it would mean something. Don't bring up in a public meeting where it's just going to cause confusion. And they said, you know, Brother Hakeem, you're right, you're right. That would be more strategic, you know, because we soldiers. You know what I'm saying? And we got to understand, we got to study things like the art of war so that we may move strategically. The goal is to be victorious. The goal is not to, sometimes you might have to lose a few battles to win the war. And so I, I'm trying to hold those soldiers, the new wars, and, 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 and check, say, look, calm down. It's going to be a time, but just be humble right now. On the same token, I'm coming to the elders now and telling the elders, look, these young brothers, they're they, they hungry, they're ready to get busy. I said, y'all can put them off for a little while, but you're not going to be able to put them off too long. I said, it's going to be a situation like that story of the Maasai warriors that one time an incident took place, and something happened, they did something to the mass, to their, tri- to the, to the, to their tribe, and the warriors were ready to go to war. And the elder said, be patient, give us your ear, just be patient for a minute, give us your ear, let us speak to you. And the warriors said, all right. They listened to the elders, the elders said, don't go to war. The warriors chilled out, right? Something else happened. The warriors again was ready to go to war. The elders said, no, 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 give us your ear. Listen to us. Listen to us. Just listen to us. So they sat down and listened to them again, right? And they didn't go to war that time. The third time something happened, the elders said, give us your ear. Give us your ear. Give us your ear. The warriors took their blades, cut off their ear, gave it to the elders, and went to war. And I told the elders, that's the same thing that may happen if they're not careful. The young, the young ones, they're young, they're restless. They'll be patient for a time being, but you can't put them off too long. So it has to be that balance between the young and the old. I told the young brothers, I said, look, that probably said that the new moors will come in with their eyes wide open, seeing and knowing, and that they will put the old moors in the back seat, not outside the car. So don't try and put them off the car, you know, put them in the back seat, let them be back seat drivers, but they're still in the car, you know. 
And so we're working it out. It's going to be hard, but we have to work it out. All those new moors that's outside the temple have to come home. They're going to have to come in the temple. And then we're going to have to take what the prophet laid the foundation for and evolve it and build it up. We're, the ones, we're not scared to do it. The elders who inherited, they were scared because there was so much uh, friction between the different sects that any one sect felt scared to make any evolution because if they did, they would be accused by the other one. Oh, you changing the prophet. You changing what the prophet did. You, you see? And so that fear kept them from evolving because they knew if they evolved it, they would be under attack by others who say, you changing what the prophet did. And they would just become stagnated. And that's why the temple became stagnated. You see, but we, it's a new time now. And there's new demands now. And we have to speak the language of the people if we're going to get the people. The prophet said his missionary work. Well, if you're a missionary, your job is to go to the people. If you're not speaking their language, they're not going to listen to you. All right? He says here, I love my people, and I desire their unity and mine back to their own free national divine standard. Because day by day they have been violating the national constitutional laws of their government by claiming names and principles that are unconstitutional. If Italians, Greeks, English, Chinese, Turks, and Arabians are forced to proclaim their free national name and religion before the constitutional government of the United States of America, it is no more than right that the law should be forced upon all American citizens alike. In all other governments, when a man is born and raised, there and ask his name and actually the certain name, if he fails to give it, he is misused, imprisoned, and exiled. And this is what has been happening to us because of the names that we attach to ourselves. He says, no group of people can fail to answer up to the constitutional standard of law by name and principle because to be a citizen of any government, you must claim your name of national descent national descent because they place trust, their trust upon issue and names that they are not a part and partial of, and neither were they formed by their forefathers. The word Negro deludes in the Latin language to the word nigger. The word colored deludes to anything that is painted, stained, varnished, or dyed. Every nation must bear a national descent name of their forefathers, because honoring thy fathers and thy mothers, your days will be lengthened upon this earth. These names have never been recognized by any two American citizens of this day. And so he's stressing the importance of declaring or proclaiming your free national name. He says, through your free national name, you are known and recognized by all nations of the earth that are recognized by said national government in which they live. The name Moore and Moors is recognized by all governments. The history of the Moors is in the libraries of every nation. The Moors empire was so vast, Everybody, every nation knows about the Moorish Empire because every nation was in contact with the Moorish Empire at some, at some point. I had a Sicilian woman come up to me one time and say, my grandfather told me that the greatest of all conquerors of Sicily was the Moors. He said they, she said, they were, my grandfather told me that they were the best of all the conquerors of Sicily. Every nation knows about the Moors. Oh, thank you, Moor. I'm going to definitely touch on that when I get to the thing about the uh, George Washington Masonic Memorial Museum. All right? And so he says here that you are recognized by your free national name. And he says that the 14th and 15th Amendments brought the North and South in unity, placing the Southerner, which was at that time without power, with the constitutional body of power. 
And at that time, 1865, the Free National Constitutional Law, which was enforced in 1774, declared all men free and equal, equal and free. And if all men are declared by their free national constitution to be free and equal, since that constitution has never been changed, there is no need for the application of the 14th and 15th Amendments for the salvation of our people, of the, our people and citizens. In other words, once, if we would have declared our free Morris national, free American citizenship and after the Emancipation Proclamation, there would have been no need for no 14th Amendment. The only reason why it came about is because of our ignorance. You see, but now the proper saying, as I'm bringing them back into the constitutional fold as part of we the people, there's no need for no 14th Amendment no more. And the last part of this, So there isn't but one supreme issue for my people to use to redeem that which was lost, and that is through the above statements. Then the lion and the lamb can lie down together in yonder hills, and neither will be harmed, because love, truth, peace, freedom, and justice will be reigning in this land. In those days, the United States will be one of the greatest civilized and prosperous governments of the world. But if the above principles are not carried out, by the citizens and my people in this government, the worst is yet to come. Because the great God of the universe is not pleased with the works that are being performed in North America by my people. And this great sin must be removed from the land to save it from enormous earthquakes, diseases, etc. All right? Excuse me. If you talk on the phone, can you step outside so it won't come on the tape? Thank you. All right, so here he's warning this nation. At the same time, he's saying that if this is followed, if, if what I'm saying, if, if, if my people are brought back into the constitutional fold, then this will be one of the greatest governments ever that has ever lived. And it will be, and that's why we have to, this, this is what we have to convey to these Europeans, that if we have our own set up, then we can relate to each other as equals. You don't have to worry about us attacking you, trying to steal your wealth, or trying to damage what you have, because there won't be no need. We have our own. The only time you fear another person attacking you or stealing your wealth or whatever is if you have and the other person does not have. That sets up all the problems. But once we get our thing going on again, there's no need for welfare. There won't be no need for all these cops, all these jails, all these prisons, all these things happening. It will be beneficial to both of us for us to get ourselves together. All right? He says, if it's not followed, he said, if it is followed, it'll be the greatest country. He said, if it's not, he says that the great symbols will move the land to save it from enormous earthquakes, diseases, etc. So he's given a warning, and he's given the results if it's not heated. Earthquakes means movement of land, but it also means movements of people. It also could mean political upheavals. That's also referred to as earthquakes also, all right? And this is what you see happening now. You see all these diseases, and we're going to touch on that also, and you see all kinds of political upheaval taking place. He says, and I, the prophet, do hereby believe that this administration of government being more wisely prepared by more genius citizens that believe in their free national government and laws, and through the help of such classes of citizens, I, the prophet, truly believe that my people will find a true and divine way of their forefathers 
and learn to stop serving carnal customs and merely ideas of man that have never done them any good but has always harmed them. So here, again, you see him making appeal to the good citizens of this nation. He's shown us what we need to be doing in this time. As we move forward and start to build for ourselves, we must constantly make appeals to those outside of our Moorish society, outside of our Moorish nation, to assist us in what we're doing. Because remember, and we have to remind America and American citizens that it was our forefathers that assisted them when they declared their independence. The first nation to recognize their independence was Morocco, the Moorish Empire. The first treaty signed was the Moroccan Treaty of 1787. The most powerful thing that we have in that treaty is not so much what the treaty says, but it's the principles of the treaty. It's the fact that we worked out and we, helped, we assisted them. And so we have the right to come to them in our time of despair to say, you should assist us also, as we assisted you back then. You should assist us in building up what we have to build up, and that's where the whole idea of reparations and these things come in. He says, so I the prophet, the last thing he says, he says, so I the prophet, I'm here, hereby calling aloud with a divine plea to all two American citizens to help me remove this great sin which has been committed and is being practiced by my people in the United States of America because they know it is not the true and divine way. And without understanding, they have fallen from the true light into utter darkness of sin. And there is not a nation on the earth today that will recognize them socially, religiously, politically, economically, etc. That's why none of these nations recognize us. We call ourselves black, African, this, African American. They don't recognize Even Africans don't recognize you. You call yourself African American, and they don't even recognize you. you. Other people come from Dominican Republic. You say, you black. They say, I'm Dominican. They right away, they tell you they're nationality. I'm Dominican American. But we call ourselves names that nobody recognizes. That's why nobody's recognizing us. Only one, the only time they recognize us is when we come under what the prophet uh, referred to us as. And I'm going to show you some things dealing with that. Um, he says here, he says, none of, them rec- none of them will recognize them socially, religiously, politically, economically, etc. in their present condition of endeavorment in which they themselves try to force upon a civilized world. They will not refrain from their simple ways of action and their deeds have brought Jim Crowism, segregation, and everything that brings harm to human beings on earth. And they fought the Southerners for all these great mis- misuses, but I have traveled in the South and have examined conditions there, and it is the very work of my people continually practicing the things which bring dishonor, disgrace, and disrespect to any nation that lives the life. And he said he went to the South and seen these things. This is a coincidence now you've got Generation F down in the corner, corner of the Dirty South. Well, that's what the prophet was calling it back then when he went down there. He said they were doing things down there that brought dishonor, disgrace, and disrespect. He said, and I am hereby calling on all true American citizens for moral support and finance to help me in my great missionary work to bring my people out of darkness into marvelous light. And that was the warning that the prophet gave the nation at that time. Now, many things the prophet did was recognized. Right here in Pennsylvania, this is taken from the House of Representatives, Resolution Number 75. Most Moors are familiar with this. Notice the date, April 17, 1933. This is right around the time of the New Deal, and this is back in 1933, so it's not like, you know, us more, we some new jacks on the scene or whatever. This, this dates back to 1933, where it was recognized that we have the right to use our titles of Il, Ali, Bey, so on and so forth. And it says, I have acquired a right to use, not the privilege, the right, all right? 
And so that's just one example of what the prophet was saying, that what he was doing was recognized by the nations of the, of the world as well as this government. And it was specifically referred to us as Moorish-Americans. Moorish-Americans. All right? That's our nationality. Just to give you another example of how it's recognized by the nations of the world, including Morocco, this is a transcript of a speech. Oh, man, I wish I could get the whole thing on there. This is a transcript of a speech given by His Excellency Mayati Jorio, Ambassador of Morocco, at the Moore Centennial Celebration on Honor Noble Diwali, January 11, 1986. He, the ambassador, says, It is a privilege for me and for other staff members of the Embassy of Morocco to attend this, the Noble Diwali Centennial Tribute dinner. Please let me take this opportunity to express to you our collective appreciation for your kind invitation and my personal appreciation for having been chosen to receive the Ambassador of the Faith Award. I am greatly honored. It is also a pleasure for us to be in the company of such distinguished guests as those here tonight and to be taking part in such a joyous celebration. We are happy to bring you all greetings from His Majesty King Hassan II and the people of Morocco. By now, I have been made well aware of your devotion to strengthening the ties linking the Moorish American community to Morocco. Morocco, for its part, welcomes your interest and your work for a better understanding between us. I would like you to know that your efforts have not gone unnoticed. Your initiative is to both be both respected and encouraged. As to us, we in turn have every intention of doing all possible to make our relationship a vibrant and a special one. But for this goal to be met, we must also look to the future. We cannot limit ourselves to considering just the historical aspect of our relationship, thereby believing that good relations between us is a matter of faith. So they, they, they don't recognize who we are here, but they're saying, let's look to the future. That's going to look just to the past, the history, and think that's just faith that has brought us together. Rather, we should understand our cooperation to be a living entity, able to grow and open to the future, it is here that we can begin to recognize the importance of our children's role. Whatever advances we make, it is our children who have to follow through. Morocco is awaiting your proposals. That is key. They're, they're sitting there saying, we, we're waiting for y'all. When y'all get together, when we're ready to form banks, when we're ready to do something, they're waiting for us. But we have to get ourselves together first. I just thought that statement was so key. He's saying that Morocco is wait, awaiting your proposals. We are pleased and proud to have the Morse community as one of the bridges between Morocco and the United States. As a new voice in a network of our long-standing relationship, thank you. So, again, the, what the prophet did was recognized not only here, but by other nations, including Morocco. They want, they want to relate. They want, they're waiting for us. Me and a brother one time visited the, uh, the council in New York City one time. And we, you know, we laid out the whole history about the Moors here in the hemisphere, and he was astounded. He was like, he's like, we're going to put you in touch with King Hassan II, who was still alive at that time. And he said, also, what he wanted us to do was translate the journals and stuff into Arabic so, and start linking up with the college students and the university students over there in Morocco, the ones of our generation, so we could begin making relations with them. See, there's so much that we could do. At one time, I studied, um, if we was to form a bank, right, based on Islamic principles, I didn't say Islamic bank per se, 
but based on Islamic principles of interest-free banking. When I was in college, I did a research paper on interest-free banking, and it sounds crazy to think that you, mean, you could do a bank without charging interest, interest-free banking, is that possible? And I wrote to Pakistan, I wrote to uh, Malaysia, and I wrote to another country, I can't remember offhand, who had uh, Islamic banks. And they sent me all the information about their banks, everything, and I showed in the paper how it's possible. See, in Islamic interest-free banking, what happens is that, see, interest is something, or usury, as it's called, or usury, or usury is something that's injurious to brotherhood and sisterhood. Because now, you take a loan from the bank now, and now you're obligated to pay back not only the principal, but the interest. Let's say you run into hard times, and whatever happens, you lose a limb or whatever happens, you know what I'm saying? During a time when you cannot pay off the principal, the interest is still piling up on you and becoming a greater and greater burden, and that puts you in a position of bondage to me now because I have all this debt hanging over your head. But in Islamic interest-free banking, they don't go by interest, which is a fixed rate. They go by um, what they call Shurkat Ina and Mudariba, which is a form of partnership or profit-set sharing. It's a, pro a profit-loss sharing situation where I'm investing in you, if you do good, I do good. If you do bad, I do bad. We share in the profit and the losses. This is why when you look at Islamic interest-free banks, they always have a management component there that assists new businesses because they want to see that business do good because it's in their interest that you do good. When you do good, they will also do good. You see what I'm saying? And that's why they have a management team that's part of that bank to assist the business and make sure that they do good. And that's what you call two brotherhood and sisterhood. That's what we want to implement amongst ourselves. So let's say, given the climate now, we have a problem with calling it Islamic Bank. I, 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 you know, I can understand that, but we can apply the principles and not call it Islamic Bank per se. But if we were to apply those principles, do you know that Islamic countries will be throwing money into that bank? If you were to set up a bank in this country based on Islamic principles, you will have so much money being poured into that bank. And so that's one of the things, as we in the process now, put together our grand body. See, the grand body that was set up by the prophet is key because that grand body is the interface between the Moors and the union society. It is that delegation that pulls a step to union society and say, we want our reparations and we want it to come in this form. And it is that, and it is that same body that is to allocate those reparations to be used properly. Not just to be given to individuals who go out there and buy escalades and all this foolishness like that, and we still don't have no nation, but they're allocated to build our schools, to build our housing, to build all those things that we're supposed to be doing as a nation. And so we're in the process of building my grand body, and, you know, there's, naturally there's going to be an economic aspect to it, and one of the things I was going to suggest is that we, we eventually got to form a bank, because you need banks to finance the different projects and, and to finance different things that need to be done, but that we use these principles and we will be very successful if we were to use, utilize those principles. Um, here's a picture from the convention from 1920. I just showing this to show, you know, the impact that the Moors had at that time in 1928. Here you see, well, here's the prophet here, and here you see other Moors. And I want to show you this also. This is a report from the newspaper regarding the convention that was held in 1928. Oh, I better start touching on some of the prophecies. You know what I'm going to do? Hold on. What I want to do at this point 
is I want to start touching on some of the prophecies that the prophet made regarding what will happen if his warning is not heeded. And you can see now, in light of current events, it's going to make a lot of sense. Um, you might want to turn that light back on over there. In light, of, in light of the current events, this is going to make a lot of sense, a lot of things he's saying. For instance, this was taken from a book published by um, Olive Ill called The Oral Statements and Prophecies of the Prophet Noble Dwali. This is a prophecy. This, this book here, it's almost, like, um, it's almost like Hadith. It's almost like a form of Hadith amongst the Moors because it's collected from various people who knew the prophet, who was around at that time, it's just taking different statements from them of things that the prophet said and done and so on and so forth. So that analogy would be in Islam, Orthodox Islam would be a hadith. So naturally, some things have more weight than others. You know, it hasn't been weighted as of yet. And in Orthodox Islam, hadith, the hadith have been weighted so that certain things are given more authority than others. But this has not been weighted yet. One day, probably it will be. Um, one of the things the prophet said there is, quote, he said that one day, there's going to be a holy war. Now, what do you hear being talked about so much right now? All oh, this talk about jihad, holy war. Well, you're going to see the prophet. Now, the, now, keep in mind now, the prophet's speaking in 1928. This is 1928 now. At that time, I don't even think Saudi Arabia, the whole oil thing wasn't going yet. It wasn't going on yet. All you had in there was desert sheiks, poor desert sheiks roaming the desert at this point. And it was right around this time that the big oil company stepped up in there and said, we'll develop your oil, we'll do the process, da, 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 and we'll make you rich. And that's why you see all the countries are filthy rich right now, was because of this deal that was made right around this time. So you didn't have all this talk about the hard holy war or whatever against America or all that stuff at that time. He said, one day there's going to be a holy war. Prophecy number 168 says, now check this out. It says, quote, one day you are going to look out into the streets, and the streets are going to be filled with men with turbans and fezes, and the highways are going to be blocked. Check out what else he says. He said, quote, keep this in mind, if his warning is not heated, he said, you are going to be saved in a conflict that cannot be told in words. He also told the Moors, he said, one day the European is going to let you down. You are going to have to put up a 90-day supply of food to last you until your brothers come to rescue you from the east. So right there he's telling you, start preparing. Because he also said here also, he said that, uh, he said here, if I were you, this is prophecy number 198, if I were you, I will get ready before you are made to do so. He's saying, get ready now. Don't wait till the last minute. Till you're forced to, he says, start getting ready now. Put up your 90-day supply of food. Have your beans. Have your stuff stored up. You never know what's going to happen. People think, you, you know, sometimes we think, oh, everything's fine. Don't be caught up bar like those ones in, like in, Noah time, in Noah's time. You know, there was party and everything. They said, oh, look at Noah. It's crazy. Building a, a boat. I mean, and not to say that this happened literally, but the, but the symbolic understanding of it, they were partying. Here he is building a boat on dry land. They thought he was a fool. They was having a good time. They was having a good time. Here he, a man building a, a boat on dry land on top of a mountain or whatever. But then when the water started rising up, they was all banging on the boat. Let us in, let us in, let us in. We don't want to be caught off guard like that. <clears throat> so prepare. 
As far as I'm concerned, every family, every household should have a survival kit, a basic survival kit of food that you stored up, light, I mean, uh, flashlights, tents, I mean, you name it. I got a little kit. I got a number of kits. I got all kinds of stuff in there, stuff that I went to, like, uh, campus supply stores and got because you never know if you may even be out of doors. You might not be, be able to stay up in the, on the home. So you got to remember, America, 85% of America is pure wilderness. The cities only take up 15% of America. So you got to understand, the first thing that's going to go is the cities. When you have outbreaks of smallpox, isn't it ironic? You remember the last meeting? I was speaking about religious freedom. I was speaking about how if, we did, if America said uh, mass vaccination of smallpox, how we could say we don't want to get it under religious freedom. Right after that, didn't the president announce mass smallpox and vaccination everything? So it's just showing you we got to stay in tune with the times. The prophet also said, quote, uh, prophecy number 57, he said, quote, watch the newspapers and listen to the radio. I am going to make the European tell the truth. So we said in the last days, listen carefully. What you hear in the newspapers, what you see on the news. He said, because he, he's going to make them tell the truth at that time. And if you listen carefully, you could distinguish the truth from what they're saying. He also said that, this is deep. Because he, he said this in 1928, before anything about smart bombs, you know about all the smart bombs with laser actors. He said that, quote, one day bombs are going to fall so that they won't, eat, they won't miss a spot as wide as my shoe. He said that you are going to need a basement to hide in. You know, almost like bunkers. And he's, so right there, he's, talking, he's, he's describing smart bombs right there. He's saying that it's going to be so accurate that it's going to land in space not even, won't miss a spot even as wide as it's as shoe. So he's already predicting all the technology, smart bombs, all that stuff. Another prophecy he says here. <clears throat> he's predicting FEMA before FEMA. FEMA is the Federal Emergency Management Agency. And FEMA has a series of plans. <clears throat> it was signed into law a series of, of, of um, executive orders. They are signed to law. If the president declares a state of national emergency, FEMA takes over all railroad, transportation, food supply, everything, and everybody has to register with the postmaster general where you will be allotted either to a work camp or a detention center or whatever the case may be. That's why the post, if you notice the postmaster general, the post office in every neighborhood. So what better mechanism to round up everybody and to assign them where they are to go than through the post offices, all right? And that's through FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Agency. That's why when the riots broke out in um, Long Island, Los Angeles, and the president came on and said, I declare a state of, mass, of, of emergency for Los Angeles, and riots broke out of the cities, I thought at that time they were going to elevate it to a state of national emergency. So at that time, right around that time, that's when I started getting my survival kit together, because I knew it could be on at any moment. That's the same time I started going out to the woods with Rudy Duckett, but Abdul Hakeem Bashan certain different herbs, survival foods, all that, because I want to know how to be able to survive in the woods if I have to and know the foods that's available in the winter as well as something because the prophet also said this also. He said, and this is deep, and this is something I always thought about. He said, quote, number 163, quote, Pray that you don't have to make your flight in the wintertime. And it goes on to say that we should pray that we do not have to make our flight from destruction at the end of time in the wintertime. 
the destruction is going to be bad enough without the added problem, ice and snow, to make our situation more difficult, knows that always a war they plan right around that same time, right around wintertime. The last Gulf War was right around wintertime. Right now, it's right around wintertime when they're planning it. You see? So this way, if things break down, people ain't going to have an outlet in the wilderness type of thing. It make it easier for them to round you up because you'll be kept, you know, indoors more or less. You see? So you got to understand that. You got you to you really know and understand survival. Like they say, I used to put out a survival manual called, um, it says survival. On the bottom it says, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. You see what I'm saying? You got to be ready. Sometimes when I go out in the woods, I walk through the woods with my children sometimes, and I said, while we walking through here, let's formulate a meal. And so we walk, and I say, all right, there goes some mustard garlic, there goes some of this, there goes some of that. I'm actually trying to compose a meal as I'm walking because I say to myself, it may come a time where I'm stranded. I don't even have access to my survival kit. I might have to know how to improvise and survive right there. Go out with my children, we make lean-to shelter, you know, just get in practice, just for fun. Because a day may come where you might have to live like that. I asked my sons one day, I said, I said, if you was in the woods and you had to cook something and you don't have no pots or pans, how would you cook it? I said, let's say you want to boil water. I said, how would you do it? And they were thinking, they were like, all right, you can't make a pot out of leaves or something like that because the minute you put it on a fire, it's going to burn up. You can't make it out of wood, it'll burn up. So how would, how would, you, how would you do it, you know? And they thought about it, thought about it. I said, this is, this is the way the elders used to do it. They dig a hole, line it with something, you put the water in, and you boil and heat up stones and rocks, and you drop that into it, and it will bring the water to a boil, or it will cook whatever you want to cook. And I just use that, for example, to say that these are things we got to think about. I've been thinking about these things while I'm in the woods, because you never know. You never know what may happen. The prophet also said, he said, quote, all nations will turn against the United States one day. Well, you see happening right now. I mean, the prophet, that's why the prophet said, if you don't believe my prophecies, he said, he said, if you don't believe I'm a prophet, watch my prophecies. Another prophecy from the prophet, he said that, now this is before FEMA. He said, he, said the, he told the Moors that one day you will go to the store and there will be soldiers with guns and bare nests in front of them and they will not let you enter and they will order you to move on. And that's exactly what happened when they declared the state of national emergency, that they will be in front of all those stores. Every neighborhood only got a 72-hour supply of food. Every neighborhood only has 72 hours worth of food within that neighborhood in the stores. Once that, imagine, if there was a major crisis here, economic collapse, because you've got to understand something. Those so-called terrorists, they're not just into blowing up buildings. That's not their strategy. That's not what it's about. Their strategy is to bring about an economic collapse by destroying the faith and confidence of the people. Haven't you noticed that every time there's a major crisis that the stock market goes down? See, their thing is, see, the whole stock market is not just based on science and mathematics like you may think. It's based a lot, majority on emotion. I had a paper in college about that at one time, that the stock market is not just based on facts and figures, but it's based primarily or more importantly on emotions and the degree of confidence that, that the people have. This piece of paper is not backed up by anything. It's not backed up by gold or silver. Only thing that's backing this thing up is a mutually agreed upon convention where you say, I recognize this as being worth a dollar if you recognize this as being worth a dollar. And that faith and confidence in that is the only thing holding this thing up. The minute you lose confidence that this is worth a dollar, 
it's gone. It's not, it's, it'll be laying in the streets. And the prophet said that one day too. He said one day it will be $20 bills in the street and you pick it up and it'll be like leaves in the street. It won't, it won't have no, no meaning. Because there's nothing backing it up. It's just faith. This money system is, is like religion. It's literally a religion. Why do you think the book about the Federal Reserve was called um, Secrets of the Temple? It's like a religion, America, by destroying the faith and confidence that people have in the system. People scared to do, scared to do that. Things start to collapse economically. You see, so that's what may happen in this country. Imagine if there's an economic collapse. There's no more transportation. There's no more food distribution. Water gets cut off in the city. You can't flush your toilet. You imagine what, those, what the cities are going to be like? The cities are going to be death camps. It's going to be like that movie, Escape from New York. You, you're going to have so much disease and so much things going on. And I'm not saying this to scare y'all. I'm just saying this to prepare y'all like the prophet said. The prophet said that, he said, prepare, he said, prepare before you are made to do so. This may never happen. I'm not saying get paranoid like those kids who get crazy, paranoid, and they get crazy, you know, crazy with it. You know, survive with everything, working on army fatigues. And I'm not saying spook out with it. I'm saying prepare your survival kit and go on with life. But you still got plan B. In other words, you got your peacetime plan. Everything's cool. Everything's functioning. Everything's all right. But then you got your emergency plan also. Don't neglect that. All right? The prophet also said, one day the Europeans are going to lock the food up in warehouses, put soldiers around them to guard them, and you will go anywhere he says to go to get something to eat. The prophet also said that he also said, there's going to be an earthquake that will split the United States in two. He may be referring to a physical earthquake, or he may be referring to some type of political upheaval that will split the country in two. All right? He also said that one day 50-pound hailstones are going to fall. And you see all these crazy storms that's taking place across the country now? We're headed right for that. What he's saying is that, in, in, in a sense, is that the weather's going to freak out. And remember that time there was this Category 6 hurricane, uh, 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 tornado? And they said, well, wait a minute. There's not supposed to be no such thing as a Category 6. Of course, the science is, the way the Earth is set up, you cannot have a Category 6 on the planet Earth. Yet you had one, a Category 6 that was a half-mile-wide hurricane. All right? These are the type of things that happen because what's happening is that an imbalance. He said that, see, us, our people, when we in tune, when we in peace and harmony, the earth is in peace and harmony. When we out of tune and then we out of harmony, the planet's out of harmony. That's why he said that he has to get our people out of their sin because literally our state, our condition will bring about the destruction of America. That's what he was telling them. He was saying, i got to save them from their great sin in order to save America. Because if not, they're going to destroy America just through their own vibes, through their own mindset they're going to destroy it. They're going to cause all kinds of earthquakes, hell, all kinds of things. That's what our people are doing because we're so, we so messed up. And we mess up anything that's around us because we have a direct connection <clears throat> with the forces of nature. And so when we're out of whack, nature's out of whack. And that's why you see all this crazy stuff happening all over the planet now. The whole weather system's changing. The North Pole and the South Pole are melting. Whole, <clears throat> excuse me, whole chunks are melting. People who live in the coastlines, it's going to be underwater soon. Because as those ice melts, the water level rises. And so you've got that going on as well. <clears throat> All right. um, another prophecy says that 
He said, if my principles are carried out, the United States will be the richest, most prosperous country on the earth. If not, the worst is yet to come. He also said, quote, there is going to be famine in the land. So you've got to prepare. You have to prepare for these things. You have all these chemical and biological agents being released. Another thing, another prophecy said, he said, one day, some of you old moors, he said new moors, he said, some of you old moors are going to be so hungry that you are going to bite into your own flesh and blood will skeet out and you are going to get angry with yourself because you didn't put up enough food. Some of you take it for granted. He's saying you're going to regret that day when it comes. He said that, the Holy Prophet said that things are going to go back to the horse and buggy days. What he's saying there is that technology is going to fail and we're going to be turned back to a pre-industrial revolution state of technology. That's why I'm encouraging the more so much to study more Spain and the technology and stuff of more Spain because that was pre-industrial -re -pre revolution, yet they established a standard of living that they was living better than we live now. They had running water. They had street lights lighted with, with a, with a, that was lit. They had beautiful homes, marbles, fountains, everything. If we could, and that was before the Industrial Revolution. So we should study that technology because that's stuff that we could implement if things go back to the horse and buggy days. We could still live in a way that is high standard of living. All right? Um, another thing, I'm going to read a couple more, and then we're going to take a break, and then I'll come back and we'll take time for questions and answers. Um, this is deep. Hmm. Let me see how I should introduce this one. I'm going to throw it out there. Maybe y'all going to have questions about this later. The prophet said, quote, I have got airplanes, zeppelins, and apparatus. I'm going to take, you, I'm going to take my good moors up in the apparatus on an incline until it's all over with. Now, that's kind of a deep statement there. <laughs> you know, a lot could be read today. I'm going to read it one more time. The prophet said that I have got airplanes, zeppelins, and apparatus. I am going to take my good moors up in an apparatus on an incline until it's all over with. And some look at that symbolically. Some look at that as being dealing with something that's on a deeper level. Another prophecy he said, he said, quote, the Europe, this has been with the reparation. He said the European is going to have to pay our people off for the work that they did in slavery and pay off in, compo in compounded interest. So right there he's saying, in terms of our, our reparations, it's as a result of the labor that we've done. And so it has to be calculated based on that. We have to study the gross national product. We have to study all those things and calculate where we factor into that and then calculate it based on compounded interest. All right? Once that's done, a fund could be set up from which we, from which we could withdraw from. The last one I want to read, he says that, he says, don't throw away your slave names just yet because we have a birthright under them. For the work that our ancestors did in slavery time, we will be paid off for this and with compounded interest. So he's saying that those old family names will be used in, in terms of determining who is eligible to receive this reparation. So he's saying don't get rid of it. Keep the full knowledge of it. It will be used at that time. All right? So at this point, we're going to take a break. And uh, we're going to come back in about 15 minutes and question and answer. You give me right here. Islam. So that was some of the prophecies of the Prophet Noble Dwali. There, there are many more.
but those are just some of the ones I want to touch on just to show you how accurate he was regarding, um, regarding uh, current events. Now I want to read to you, this is a prophecy, this is a Moorish prophecy that's over, five, over 500 years old. And it was specifically amongst the Moors in Spain. As, as they were being conquered by the Europeans, they had a whole literature. And this is just one of, one of the prophecies that was found within that literature. And I'm going to read it to you. Because it's deep, it's deep with regards to certain things that's happening now as well. It says, A third prophecy is attributed to Muhammad himself and may have formed the basis for other prophecies. It is related that Muhammad was asked about the end of the world and what would happen thereafter to his community. Muhammad replied that the world will come to an end when the most perverse and worst people appear at a time when a part of his community will still be in an island situated in the extreme west, which is called Andalusia, talking about Spain. He said at that time all of a sudden will appear this, this people who is who he referred to as being the, the most worse and perverse people. And he said that uh, the people of his community will be the last of his inhabitants. All calamities will befall them because of their neglect of religious law and their worldliness, neglecting prayers and indulging in luxury. Now, one of the, that's one, one of the reasons why the Moors fell is because we ourselves got corrupt. And that just opened the way for the Europeans now to come and conquer us. And this is sort of what he's saying here, sort of what the prophet said, that every nation, every nation suffers slavery because it neglected the divine principles of their mothers and fathers. And that's what he's saying here, that they neglected religious law and their worldliness, neglecting prayers and indulging luxury. He said, it almost sounds like now, he said, the miners, among, the miners or the young among them do not respect the elderly nor do the elderly have compassion for the minors. And, and injustices and false oaths abound among them. You know, false oaths, giving your word about something, not keeping your word. And it says, merchants purchase and sell with usury or interest and deceit and covet other people's property. These and other evil things will become manifest, and God will su subject them to a, per to a people worse than they. So he's saying that even though as bad as corrupt as we got, because of that, God was going to subject us to a people who was even worse than us, which you see is what happened. And it goes on to say that they will be tormented. Cruel governors will rule over them. We see it happen every day, Giuliani, all of them, Giuliani. Uh, 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 cruel governors will rule over them. Their property will be confiscated for no reason. Sounds familiar? They will be captive, prison system, and obligated to eat bacon. Wait, oh no. They will, they will be captive and subject to killing and conversion and will worship images and idols. Every time you still go in the Catholic church with all them images up in there and them idols up in there. And they said they will, will be killed. You see what's happening with the brutality. They will be obligated to eat bacon and will endure their oppressions to the point of hopelessness and despair. One of the things that they did to the Moors when they... Um, uh, captured them, is forced them to eat bacon because they knew that we, that was against us, eating pork. So they were forced them to eat bacon and pork, all kind of stuff. They actually passed laws forced them to eat it. And it says that we will endure those and other oppressions to the point of hopelessness and despair. That's almost where we're at now. 
God will punish their sins, but he will also have pity on them and will forgive them when those evils are eradicated and when they return to the practice of religious law. Remember the divine and national movement, the temples were set up to get us back in tune with that. So he said, then when we do that, God will have pity on us. The cruelty imposed on us will be so intense that even the angels will become vexed and will appear before the Almighty calling his attention to their plight. When I put this prophecy on the internet, I called it, even the angels are vexed. To say that because of our condition, our miserable condition, even the angels themselves are vexed. And even the angels themselves are going before the Most High saying, when are you going to help them? When are you going to save them? And it says here that they will appear before God Almighty, calling his attention to their plight. It is then that God, the avenger, Al-Muntakim, will send someone to rescue them from their miserable condition. This will take place when a new year falls on a Saturday. God will then send a sign consistent of a cloud of birds, two of which will represent the angels Gabriel and Michael. The first cloud of birds will be followed by other birds of the earth to announce the coming of the king of the east and the west, signs the Nostradamus prophecy, who will take Andalusia. The conflict between Islam and Christianity will end with the return to the law of the Moors. There will be much cloud in that year, scarcity of water, trees bearing extra fruit, and other signs. And I thought it was interesting that two of the main signs mentioned was birds and clouds. Well, you know, birds was connected with what they called the West Nile virus. Remember there were all these reports about all these dead birds, all these birds dying? So that's one sign. The other sign was clouds. Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with this whole thing about the contrail slash chemtrail that's being sprayed above us. How many of you are aware of that? Or let me say, how many of you are not aware of that, the chemtrails? All right, they call it, you, you'll find a lot of information about this on the Internet. They refer to them as chemtrails. See, I don't know how many of you look, look up above and know what's going above your heads, but little as it's kept, do you know that... That planes are, laying, are spraying something and laying them out in lines and grids above your head every day? And when you look up, see, regular plane contrails dissipate behind the plane, like maybe five minutes after the plane leaves, it dissipates. Because it's really just ice crystals form. So a plane will leave like a little line, but like five minutes later, it'll disappear. Not these contrails. This is something else. You'll see that, you'll see these, you, one, one day the clear sky, look up. And you'll see these planes laying these lines out, right? But these, these lines, these contrails won't disappear in five minutes. Instead, they'll begin to spread out, and they form cloud banks. Now, nobody's sure exactly what this is. You know, some, it seems as if it's a secret military operation or something like that because there was a couple of air, control, air traffic controllers who came on the air anonymously and said that, yes, this is military. I can't get into the details of it, but it's military. I first noticed it about four years ago. I seen these, these planes, laying, I thought that was one of those skywriting planes. But then I started to see it too much, and I started to observe the phenomenon every day, and I started seeing stuff where it was laying them out in grids like this, like almost like tic-tac-toe, so that when it, when it would spread out from a cloud bank, the whole area would be covered. And so it would be days that start off like bright, blue, sunny day, 
and these planes are just working. They laying them lines out, boom, 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 boom. By the time they finished, the day was just cloudy. And these clouds are different. If you look at them carefully, they almost look like, they almost look like oily, like slick and oily, like a filmy type of cloud. Sometimes when you look at them and you see the sun shining through it, it polarizes the light of the sun, almost like when you look at an oil slick on the ground, you can see the rainbow, rainbow in it. It's that same type of oily, filmy-looking type of cloud. It's not real clouds. I remember times, one time driving on the highway, and a plane flew right overhead making one of them things. And when I flew underneath the line, a glob of some clear, sticky, gooey stuff, it was clear, like a, like a, almost like a gel, fell on my windshield. Now, you have people who tested these globs, right? And inside these globs, they found, they found chemical agents, biological agents, and DNA-altering material. DNA-altering material was found in these blobs. So, and, these, and, this, and, and when you look on the Internet, you just punch in chemtrails, C-H-E-M trails. You will see pictures of these things in every state. The government, they know the truth of what the prophet brought. They will have to violate their own oaths and obligations in order to violate us. That's one aspect. But then there are those, like I said earlier, who dealing with that whole Nazi clique, that whole Nazi racist clique that's up in the federal government, who are not bound by that. So we got to keep in mind that that clique is going to try and get the government to treat us like everyone else. What is important, that's why we have to have that grand body in place, so that we could communicate and let be known our status with, the, with regards to this government, as well as the international government and dealing with international opinion. And, have a, and having a voice within the United Nations also, because they will have to violate every law, everything they stand for, in order to violate us. And they'll do it if there's nobody to point it out and shine a light on it. So that's why it's going to be very important that in the days to come, we have that grand body set up, and that grand body has the ability to communicate with the mass media, as well as to communicate to world opinion as far as certain things. See, they're not, they're not in the position yet. They're not so powerful yet where they could just trample on everything, even, even that which they say they believe in, and the world just stand by. They're trying to get to that point, sure enough, but they're not there yet. So the, the key to our salvation right now is going to be putting together that grand body. That's going to be our salvation. That's going to be that umbrella. That's going to be that sanctuary that we come under. And within that, they cannot violate us. Like, like I said, they will have to destroy and violate everything that they say they are about first to do that. All right, so that's how that is, you know, is being handled. And um, we just got to understand how to, this is where military strategy come in, and understanding how to deal with this time, but the key is going to be that grand body. That's going to be the key, all right? And so here they're talking about all the things that this office is going to be able to do, and it's going to be headed up by Poindexter. I mean, so you could just imagine... And further on about talking about the, uh, the mark of the beast, they talk about here, this is from the New York Times. It says, if, if the Homeland Security Act is not amended before passage, here is what will happen to you. Every purchase you make with a credit card, every magazine subscription you buy, and medical prescription you fill, every website you visit, an email you send or receive, every academic grade you receive, every bank deposit you make, every trip you book, and every event you attend, all these transactions and communications will go into what the Defense Department describes as a virtual centralized grand database. 
and it goes on and on about what this particular database will entail. And to think that, and to make it even more worse with revelations, it says that the FDA approves implantable chips in humans. So now they have chips that they can implant into you for identification purposes. So the minute you walk in anywhere that got a scanner, they already know who you are. Everything on that database will pop up in the file, and they will know everything about you. This, when they talk about the mark of the beast, see, you see, you got to understand the beast is actually a system. The beast is a, is a system that was put in place during the New Deal. Between 1933 and 1938, the beast is the system where you got all these agencies, FDA, this, all these different things. The reason why the beast came into existence was because of the ignorance of the people. If the people had enough knowledge of themselves and enough self-control to control themselves, there will be no need for this beast system with all these tentacles, all these agencies out there. Imagine, because the people are blind, deaf, and dumb to the knowledge of themselves, let's say you're a meat producer or whatever. If the FDA don't stay on your, on your back about it, being an average person is blind, deaf, and dumb, they'll be trying to sell all kind of inferior products to people. People be dying left, or, left and right of salmonella, all that stuff, because the people don't have enough knowledge of themselves and to act on that. So that's why you have a beast system. A beast system comes in lieu of true knowledge to say that the only way we can maintain a civil society is through this beast system. FCC, this, that, that. All these things looking over your shoulder to make sure you do that which you should already know what to do between right and wrong. That's why we have a beast system. And the only way the beast system is going to be rid of it is when the people get knowledge of themselves and begin to do that which they know is right on their own without having to be at a, do it at the point of a sword. And so that's what the beast system is. It's the system, this is, is what, they, what they call the administrative state. This is an administrative state that was set up during 1930 to 1938 that rules and regulates every aspect of your life. You have to go ahead and get a marriage license. You gotta go ahead and get a birth certificate. You gotta go ahead and get a driver. You gotta go ahead and get, it's rule and regulate every aspect of your life. And the people just accept it. Not only are people accept it, but they calling for even more regulation now. You see what I'm saying? But us two more, we want to move away from that. With our divine and national movement, we want to teach you the divine ways so there won't be no need for no big brother. So that when we set up our national government, it won't be, we won't have no need for all these agencies looking over your shoulder. That's why the prophet said it was a divine and national movement, not just a national movement. We got to learn the right things first so then when we do set up a government, it's not a big brother government. It won't be no need for a big brother government. All right, so that, it, this gets into the whole thing dealing with that particular chip, how it's implantable and all the stuff like that. And they got, it, they got it so small now that they got it down to the size of a flu virus. So they can literally walk into a room and spray it, and you just inhale the chip. You don't even know it. Who knows, them planes that find up laying them things, maybe, they, maybe those are chips that we inhaling every day. We being tracked even right now. You see what I'm saying? So these are things to keep in mind. I'm saying these things. I don't fear these things, to tell you the truth. My thing is, people come to me all the time. They say, Brother Hakeem, we fear for your life. All this stuff like this. I'm not fearing for it, because I know that all of us have a time appointed to die. And we could avert it neither a minute nor a second. So rather we go doing the work of uplifting the fall of humanity than doing something, something foolish. You see what I'm saying? Because we can't avoid it anyway. You know what I'm saying? So I, don't mind. I know that they're watching me. But I know as long as I stay on the path of what the prophet brought, I'm all right. The minute I get off path, I'm open to anything. I had Guardian Association members come tell me, say, Hakeem, you know, 
guess what I consider you and your table a hot spot. They watching you. I said, so what? I'm going to continue doing exactly what I'm doing. I had kids from COINTELPO, I mean, not COINTELPO, um, Interpool. And that's when police come by the table in Harlem. This is when we was in Harlem. Don't bother me. As long as I'm doing what? As a matter of fact, when he came to the table, we had him shook up. We had him, we had him pull out all his IDs, lay on the table. He was so, he was so scared because there was some wild more. There was, these, these were some wild brothers around the table back then. You know, they was like, "Hot, you want me to bring him out the corner and put two slugs in him?" I was like, "No, no, no, calm down." They, they was ready. To, they was ready to bring him out the corner and do him, and I was calming them down. So he, when he when he knew that, he got real scared. His lips turned dry. He he, he couldn't even talk no more. He put out all his IDs, laid on the table. Afterwards, he brought eighty dollars worth of books from me, with marked money. I was like, the way the whole thing happened was weird. But I just say that to say this that that as long as you stay on the right course, you know, we don't have nothing to fear. You know, death, in some ways, you know, for them to kill me would be the worst thing for them to do in, in a lot of ways. Because when you come to a certain point, they don't want to make a mart out of you and bring attention to you where otherwise maybe people might not even realize you even existed. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, by doing something like that may be in the long run worse for them. But like I said, we got to just do our job. We, we got to be cognizant of what's going on around us and take due precautions. Like they said, when you in Mecca, tie your camel. Which means just because you in Mecca, don't think like, you know, I can just leave my camel and I come out and everything's going to be all right. You know what I'm saying? When you in Mecca, tie your camel, meaning that when I get in my car, I still put my seatbelt on. You know, I, I don't get cocky. I know that I'm doing a divine work. But at the same time, I'm not going to be like, oh, I am I'm not to worry about nothing. You know, I can, I can walk off this cliff right here. God's going to save me. You know what I'm saying? No, it don't work like that now. Don't get, don't get crazy, you know. All right. So here they're talking about also the West Nile virus, epidemic or bioterrorism or Mother Nature. And it's getting to this whole thing of how it was made on Plum Island in New York City and all the stuff like that and how it was really for the CDC to run their test runs to see how people respond and all that kind of stuff. And then last but not least, I have one other article in here. They talk about genetic engineering, all that stuff like that. Now, this is deep. And nobody, never, nobody actually really picked up on this. And you don't hear nothing about this no more. Uh, this, is says the C, this is another article that talks about the CDC-approved smallpox plan, vaccinations to begin. And they talk about phase one. In January 2003, phase one is going to start. In phase one, 35 to 40,000 40, public health and hospital workers have to get the vaccination shot. Phase one. Now, I'm going to tell you something about this, too. Phase two in spring of 2003, 400,000 police officers, paramedics, and other medical workers are supposed to get vaccinated. Phase three, after January 2004, the general public. Now, I'm going to tell you something about this, though, because they you know what they said? They said that those getting vaccination shots are literally getting injected with the virus, right? They can actually spread it to other people. Now, you know what this is like? Remember what they did with the Native, native peoples, that they gave them blankets that was laced with the smallpox vaccine? Those ones who get, go get the shot and come back to the community, they like those blankets laced with the smallpox virus. So literally, as these phases kick into, kick into and see what, what that's going to do, all right, as these phases kick into being, the first, in other words, like saying phase one, January 1st, 35 to 40,000, Smallpox lace blankets.
Tune in every Sunday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on the bottom line with Joey L. On the New Evolution Radio Network. All right, all right. Peace to the gods. Um, it was a long clip. <clears throat> so you were sitting in. got a chance to hear that. Um, I think that was important for us to play. Next week, uh, we're going to go into the Seventh Amendment next week. This, this week, I just decided to play an audio so this way we could, um, you know, we could catch up on some, on some good information that's needed uh, for people who may have missed this information at some point in time. Alright, so we'll continue with our series next week on the Seventh Amendment. Um, looks like we got caller nine one seven eight zero four. You got your hand up. What's happening? Nine one seven. You there? Peace to the God. Sorry, but that was on me. Oh, you good? Peace to the God. How you? Oh, wonderful, magnificent, and great. I was sitting here wondering, man. I was like, uh, is he playing a clip or is he on? Is he not? <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, I was on. It's just, um, you know, I decided to let the clip run tonight. Um, I had a whole show prepared, but I just decided to let the clip run because I felt, you know, I felt it was necessary to play that. You know, a lot of people have never heard that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can dig it. It's very enlightening information on top of it all. You know. Yeah, you know, um. That's an older lecture um, by Hakeem Bey. It's an old one of his old lectures, but it's still relevant. Yeah, I heard he said oh four. It's an older lecture, but, but it's it, crazy. You know, a lot of the information. Yeah, a lot of the information that he brought out at the beginning of that lecture is um is insightful. You know, so because yeah. you know, a lot of people. You know, I don't know. You know, I don't know what it is people think. You know, if I'm talking about the Constitution or something like that, then. I'm straying away from, you know, the groundwork of, of, of what we're doing, but that is foundational. So that's why I wanted to go back. Oh and hell play yeah, that, man! So, you know, absolutely, absolutely. Just, I'm just, I'm just laying bricks. Price, that's man. all. <laughs> like, no doubt. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just laying bricks. Yeah. Next, next week though, I'm gonna go. First part of the show, we're gonna go into the Seventh Amendment, and then the second part, I'm gonna play some stuff. Uh, by the brother Uriel. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll review that next week. But yeah, next week I got I got the Seventh Amendment lined up. We'll, we'll be going through that Seventh and Eighth Amendment next week. No doubt. That's what's up. I'll be make sure I'm tuned in. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Tell somebody else to tune in. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to bring them in, man. As we can. Yeah, that. And then uh, Friday and Sunday show back to back, man. Two fire shows. Oh yeah, yeah. Friday was a good show. Uh, this coming up Friday, I'm, it's gonna be the show's gonna be in the afternoon. Cause I got I've got a basketball game. Uh, yeah, so it'll be in the it'll be on the evening. Yeah. All right, that's what's up. We try to catch that one too. Yeah, yeah it'll be in the evening. And um, yeah, man. I'm you know thing about Fridays is. You know, I've been trying to catch a Friday where I can start doing shows again. So I'm fortunate to be able to do the last two Fridays. So, you know, we're going to keep it going with those. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. That's what's up, God. I just want to Niggas don't like tuning in on Sundays no more. I said, niggas don't like to tune in on Sundays no more. I think they, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. 
that and caught the holy ghost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know, man. <laughs> Dude, I was like, man, after listening to uh, the last two Sundays and the Fridays, I was like, I gotta get on. <clears throat> and he breaking it back oh, down, yeah, no from, like, taking it from the beginning. Yeah, yep. that's fine. Yep, yep, that's my plan. My plan is to go through. I'm gonna go through the Constitution. Um, and so each show that we go through, there's a uh, a case that I'll play, a Supreme Court case. I got one that's lined up for tonight, but we had a time. So next week I'll play the whole case. Um, and then once we get through each of the amendments, I'll then go into the treaties. Right. But right, that's the right. Yeah, I downloaded that case. From, uh, too. I downloaded that case from um, Sunday. I mean, then is. Yeah. Long case, ain't it? Yeah, we, yeah, it is. But he got some good info in it, man. Mm-hmm. It sure that's does. Damn good info in that's it. That's why I like to go back and that's why I like to go back and deal with uh Supreme Court Constitution. Because a lot of times we you know, we overlook that. You know, that that's like I always say, that's the, that's your that's your bridge to get to the treaties. Right. Yep. yep. No. I remember you talking about that using the uh the federal, then using the state, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You got to. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, that, you know, unfortunately, like I said, man, if it wasn't for, you know, as much as we talk about, you know, dealing with the federal government, you know, and, you know, minus the corruption that's there, you know, if it wasn't for, for the federal government, a lot of people of color would still be slavery. You know, yeah. physical slavery, bondage. You know, you're just in a paper. <laughs> they got you in paper bondage now <laughs> under the Fourteenth mm-hmm. Amendment. But if it wasn't, if it wasn't for the federal government stepping in, we'd have all yeah, paper problems. bondage, corruption, yeah, blood, oh nine yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's important to still play these Supreme Court cases because they still lay foundational rules, you know, with that Constitution to get us to the trees. You know, so the so Moors, you know, know how to use some treaties. Right, right. I like how uh, uh, Hakeem Bay was talking about, you know, getting your your nationality corrected too. You know, that's very important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 critical. Yeah, that's that's critical. That's that's like one of them. You know, back in the day when I first started uh, learning this information and teaching me, that was one of the principles that we started off with is nationality first. Right. Many people are, are too quick to well, how do I discharge my car first? Or how do I you know how do I get out of this case or whatever it is first to get about nationality. Mm-hmm. Well, and we talk about a formal process. Right? Once again your formal process has to go through who? Gotta go through the Department of State. The federal government. <laughs> federal government. You know, so I don't, you know, I, I don't knock the true blue, as they say. I don't knock it. You know, I just I just understand that you have to operate within a certain bounds because not everybody understands freedom. You got a lot of people who think they But, you know, I, yeah, I said this before, you know, liberty looks different depending upon which side you come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you said it's two separate, two separate joints. Yeah, fourteen amendments. Yeah. Yeah, you got you, exactly. 
Like we talked about last week, you got two different types of liberty in this country. You know? Mm-hmm. You still got black confederates. <laughs> right. You know? Right. So, right. You know? So, I, I, I advocate for freedom, man, across the board. You know? So, I, I think this is a good way for us to touch back into into these, these topics. No matter, you know, if there's two people on or, or 200. You know, somebody's going to get the information. Yeah, somebody's going to catch somebody. it. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, and, and no matter how much we actually uh, progress, you still got to go back and remember the footwork, you know. Yeah, well, that's that, that's the whole thing about it. Is, you know, I think, I think, like I said, I think a lot of us are too caught up into, um, you know, dealing with parts of this information that's not really going to help you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cats have problems every day. I get I get brothers calling me all the time with different problems, you know. And and they and with the one thing they fail to do is go back and use the state constitution in the federal. And the reason, yep. and you know what? The one, the one of the reasons why I still advocate even to deal with the federal constitution is because, like I said last week, the states are still Fourteenth Amendment, so the states are still bound by it, which means that the Bill of Rights under the federal applies to the state too. Fact, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you got to learn they rules. We lose yeah. our way you gonna know how to yeah. hold it down. Exactly. So before we lose, you know, <laughs> before we lose our shit, it's best to stay in line. Right. With our foundation, yeah. you know. Is this you know, how you bring the, the archives out? Who's that? Yeah, well, that's the, that's my whole plan. That's why next week I'm going to go into, um, after we do the Seventh Amendment, I'm going to do some Uriel-based stuff because I, I want y'all to hear about what was done in the Library of Congress, you know, with the archives. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that's it. important, too. Yeah. So, next week, it's going to really be fire. We're going we're gonna to hit it on, on top of the head. Yeah, seventh and amendment deep, seven to eight, absolutely. Look, I was trying to yep. for the show, so I was already reading it before it came on. I was like, oh yeah, this this gonna be deep right here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Next week, next week we're gonna jump right into it. Next week, I, I start the show a little earlier than that. Well, the show starts right on time, uh, six p.m. Central, seven Eastern. So I only do about thirty minutes of clips now. So you know. Early you can call in, the better. Absolutely, man. You know I'm going to be there with you. Thank God. It's good to hear your voice. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Fiscal. Happy New Fiscal to you. Happy New Fiscal. <laughs> Thank you, my brother. Appreciate you. I'll talk to you next week. Yes, sir. Peace. Peace. All right, that's what's up. Uh, go to makemorecommerce.com. If you want to holler at me, we're going to get out of here. Um... We will probably show on Friday, Friday evening. I'll have the times up. Y'all want to tune in. And uh, next week, we'll be on the 7th and 8th Amendment, all right? So with that said, man, we out of here. We said peace to the gods and happy new fiscal year. Peace. Peace.